Well, since the end of June came yesterday as of recording this, a little later when this actually comes out, but, uh, so, we were, since we've now started doing a, you know, movie show again, we were going to do our best movies of the year so far, but once we started looking into it, we realized only one of us has seen any movies from this year, so that would not be very interesting to discuss. At least for one of you. Well, right. <laughs> Uh, so instead, since we're both TV people, uh, we'll, you can tell by the title, of course, going to discuss the best TV shows of the first half of the year so far. Uh, we used to do these somewhat regularly, so uh, if you're not familiar, generally it goes, if you care about the stuff that is on uh, network television, don't pay attention to my list. There's very little of it on there. Thank you. That's the entirety of your list, more or less, though. Almost. If you want what's on Netflix or Amazon or HBO or Showtime or any of the other stuff, that's my list, mostly. Obviously, there's some exceptions, but that's the general rundown. Yes. That's the general feel of both <laughs> lists. So, uh, so... We'll start with uh, the four shows I have that fit this department, which are, I have started watching, but they have not finished their season yet, so I do not feel comfortable placing them on the list. So I'll briefly discuss those. The first being Snowpiercer on uh, TNT. So this is a very lengthy adaptation of the Bong Joon-ho movie from, like, Boy, nearly 10 years ago now at this point. Um, so it's basically the same thing, but they had to figure out how to make it super long. So there's a bunch of like really stupid, unnecessary plot details thrown in. Thank you. Um, it's, it's okay, but it's not really anything great at this point. Uh, next up would be the new Perry Mason from HBO. Uh, the second episode just aired on Sunday night. Uh, so this stars Matthew Rice from The Americans as Perry Mason. This follows him at, like, the very start of his career, so before his big TV show from the 60s. Uh. Um, the first episode, because I have not watched the second, it's sitting on my queue ready to go, uh, I do not really care too much for, um... It has the problem that a lot of these shows that take place in, like, the 30s and 40s do, which is that I couldn't tell who people were, so they would randomly cut to someone who I was supposed to recognize from earlier in the episode, and I cannot figure out who it was for a while, which is a problem I have with a lot of these, like, period shows, unless uh -huh. it's actors that I know. Okay. So I was like, okay, that's, okay, there's Perry, because there's Matthew Rice, so who's this guy he's talking to? I don't know. Um, but it's from the, um, I mean, the, the writers and creators of this one are most known for Friday Night Lights. So it has this very ridiculous heightened sense of drama and just weird stuff going on that is really not very interesting. Boy. Um, okay. But that's the first episode only. Uh, you may ask, well, why is it HBO if it's Perry Mason, right? Very clean show from the 60s. 
they let you know right away, nope, this is why we're on HBO. And about the first five minutes of the pilot, uh, they swear a whole bunch. And we see a fully nude woman, and we see full frontal nudity of one of the three stooges, I believe it's supposed to be. Uh, so it's like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Though none of that stuff's in the rest of the episode, really, so it's like, okay, you're just going to get it all out up front. Okay, cool, whatever. Um, I see. Keep your attention there. Well, no, it was mostly disgusting for me. Oh, okay. It was like, I don't want to watch some, like, obese man eat, like, mashed potatoes out of this woman's vagina, because that's, like, one of the opening scenes. It's like, no, I... No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Moving on. To um, season two of The Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. Technically, I have not started watching season two yet, but season one was pretty good. I enjoyed it, so I'm uh, be starting that here in the next couple of days, probably. And then I'm about halfway through. Um, I'm ready for episode eight of season two of Harley Quinn. Uh, so so far, the first seven of season two. Uh, I mean, it's more of the same. It's you know, it's fine. Um, there's not really anything too notable about it, really. It's it's kind of fine, you know. It's an actual, it's like a good adaptation of the Harley Quinn character, but it's nothing that remarkable to me. But nonetheless, I haven't finished it yet, so I didn't feel comfortable placing it, because I do plan on watching all of it. Um, unlike some of these others that will start my list that I only watched one or two episodes of. Uh, you have any in that bottom category there? Well, I do, but I did not put them in that category. Ah. So they're spread throughout my list. Ah, okay. <laughs> I didn't know we were doing that. Ah, well, that's how I do it, so. <laughs> so. So I officially have 60 shows ranked. Um, only 38 that I actually watched more than like two or three episodes of, so. Um. So coming in at 60, the worst pilot I watched, technically, uh, belongs to a this miniseries, I think it was, on National Geographic, uh, Bark Skins. So this follows, like, uh, French settlers in, like, the 1700s in New York or something. I don't know. It was really boring. I didn't care for it. Um... If you're into that kind of stuff, it might be more interesting, but I will say it was shot really nicely, but that's about the only real compliment I can give it. Okay. It it looked really nice. Wow. That's the best I can do for it. Um, at 59, because uh, you only have like 53, 53, so I can go unimpeded for a little bit here. At 59, War of the Worlds, which aired on Epics. Um, again, pilot only. I, I didn't find anything interesting about it. Uh, it's, you know, it's just the War of the Worlds story again. I didn't find anything particularly notable about it. Okay, I have that on Fox. Okay. Okay, the one I looked at says Fox. It may not be the right one, but... Uh, nope, I have no idea what you're looking at. Um, 
Maybe you're looking at a rerun of the Tom Cruise movie. I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, number 58 from the Oprah Winfrey Network. Cherish the Day. Uh, again, pilot only. Now, this one did have an interesting concept, I found, which is that it follows, each episode follows a pivotal day in this couple's relationship, uh, which is, you know, an interesting concept. Um, what was that show last year that kind of did this? Um, State of the Union. That, that was sort of like this. Um, but... It wasn't very compellingly put together. It lost my interest fairly quickly, but I would like to see this concept explored uh, in a better way than this. Uh, it could really do with that. Uh, number 57, I didn't even note the network, and I didn't care enough to look it up, so I don't know. Um, Spy Games. This was a reality competition show where normal people attempt to be spies. It, it was stupid. I don't... I, I will admit that I, I am enjoying the fact that networks are willing to try these really weird ideas like this. Yes. Like, we'll get into a lot later of, like, these weird game shows and reality competitions instead of just doing, like, the 85th version of The Bachelor again or another talent show type thing. So I will admit that I am that I do like that they're trying these kind of weird things, but they still need to be a lot better because this was really stupid. Uh, number fifty six. Um, apparently, I might be mistaken and need to watch more than just the pilot from what I've heard from everyone else uh, <laughs> talking about it. But we'll see. That would be I may destroy you, which is an HBO show. Again, I only watched the pilot. I, I don't. I didn't see what there was to write home about with this pilot. Um, apparently, it's like a really incredible show from everything I've heard from everyone. Um, but okay, I, I don't know. Uh, I found it to be a pretty tedious drama that was following a burnout creative attempting to write a new play or something. Was the pilot? I, I don't know. I I didn't care for this pilot, but apparently I might need to watch more of it. I don't know. I don't know. On IMDb, it has a 6.9 rating right now. Okay, well, I don't know. All the critic people that I trust their opinions on have said this show is, like, really, really great. So, Well, the plot here for our in IMDb says, The question of sexual consent mm -hmm. in contemporary life and how, in the new landscape of dating and relationships, we make the distinction between liberation and exploitation. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know that's what it's about. Uh, it, okay. it just never got there in the pilot. Huh. And, like, I understand, like, I understand shows that like to do this, that take the, like, we're going to take an episode or a half a season to get to the actual show... Because, you know, that's The Good Place, or that's BoJack. All those shows that do that. Uh, but at least the pre-that is still interesting in its own way, you know. Okay. This one, I was not interested in that pilot. But from all the other critic people that I trust, it's supposed to be really great. So I may have to try it later, but we'll, we'll see.
Um, at 55, Dare Me, which was on the USA Network. Um, so technically, the pilot is not part of this because it aired last year. Um, so I watched the second and third episode, and that was about all I could handle. Um, the first, the pilot, if, if you recall, and you're a longtime listener, you'll recall I quite enjoyed that pilot from last year. Uh, and I still stand by that. The pilot is fairly interesting. After that, it turns into, like, Riverdale. It's really stupid and really, really tedious after that. Okay. So, watch the pilot and don't bother with the rest if you're going to watch Dare Me. That's a really terrible way to watch television, but that's the best way to consume that show. Why not? Or I I think it's based on a book. Maybe the book's better. I don't know. Um, At number 54, another one that sounded cool but was really stupid. Motherland Fort Salem. So this was on Freeform. I believe you did watch this too. I did watch the first episode. Yes. Yes. Uh, So this is supposedly, so this takes place in an alternate reality where witches, which may not even be an alternate reality, and who am I to say, but where witches and magic exist, Uh, although this would be an alternate reality since they're like, it's well known that they exist, and like witches are conscripted into like a branch of the U.S. military or something, and like fight wars and stuff. <laughs> um, the effects work is really cool. I'll give it that. Really great effects work for t for non prestige TV. Really good effects work in that department. That's about it, though. Uh, you know, it's a free form show. So the actors aren't great, the writing's not great, but it has an interesting premise. That's like every single freeform show. Interesting premise, that's the best you can write home about on it, honestly. Um, at 53rd, Vagrant Queen from the Sci-Fi Channel. So another pilot only. Um, so... This is a very silly sci-fi show, right? It, it tries to do, like, um, a Galaxy Quest-style, like, parody level of comedy that, you know, I just don't care for that style of sci-fi. The, like, silly fun, you know, your Star Warses. I just don't really ever care for that style of sci-fi work. So I just was inherently not going to enjoy this. Um... If I liked that kind of stuff, this was probably a really good episode, a really good show. Um, I don't know. I know you're the one of the two of us that's more into this style of sci-fi, so it may have been really good for you. I don't know, but <laughs> I did not care for it. Well, you'll hear from me shortly about it. Oh, okay. So I'm, so I'm <laughs> not correct. Okay. So you're 53rd. That oh. was 53 for me. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going one at a time. Okay. I, I mean, I can go all the way up to 50, and then you can do 3 to 50 if you want. Well, that's what I thought we might do. Oh, okay. All right. So at number 52, um, another show that I may have to give another try, because all the critic people that I trust loved this, but I could only make it through the pilot because I did not care for it after that. Run, another HBO show. Um, so initially, I was really... The only reason I even watched the pilot was because C.B. Waller-Bridge is involved in, on, on the creative side of the show. 
So I was like, oh, okay. So this should be, at the very least, decent if Phoebe's doing this. This should be at least decent. Oh, boy. Um, so this is structured like a rom-com between Domhnall Gleeson and the woman whose name I don't remember. And the, the idea is that they were like former lovers and they have this agreement that if they text each other, run, that no matter what happens there, to drop their entire lives and meet up in like New York City for a passionate weekend of sexual misadventure and whatnot. Um, okay. Which like, interesting premise, admittedly. Like that could and should be, you know, interesting. It's not. Donald Gleason's great because he's Donald Gleason, so of course he's great. But um, it was very tepid. Other than that, uh, I just it it didn't interest me. But I may have to try out more of it. I don't know, but I probably ain't gonna bother. But looks like the female was Merritt Weaver. That doesn't help me. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't care for it much. Um, at number 51, we have Dave, which is on FX. Uh, so, again, I only bothered with the pilot. Basically, if you have ever heard Lil Dicky's music, because this is his TV show, where he's, like, playing himself, basically. Like, I mean, this is kind of where, like, every musical comedian except for Weird Al has ended up here where they've had to do a TV show. Rachel Bloom ended up here. You know, I, there are many others whose name I can't remember, but I guess Weird Al kind of did do this because Gallivant is kind of that, although he's not as directly involved. He doesn't star in it. He does show up, but um, nonetheless, uh, like, if you've heard his music, it's the same thing. Like, he he can't figure out a joke other than I'm a white rapper with a small penis. Like, that's his one joke he has. Which I guess is really kind of two jokes. So I guess that could be three jokes. Because you can tell each of them separately and then combine. So that's three different jokes he has. Wow. Uh, I know, right? Amazing. Um, wow. Endless supply. I know. But those are the only three jokes he has. And I I just couldn't... Basically, I couldn't stand his presence was mostly the issue. He is not a charismatic presence. So I did not care for Dave. Okay. So at number 50, finally the first show here, I guess other than Dare Me, where I watched more than only one episode, Medical Police. So this is a spinoff of Children's Hospital. Which, if you're familiar with Children's Hospital, this is the same thing. It's, you know, it's the stupidest comedy played to the stupidest degree that you could ever expect. You know, it's it's like Police Academy or Naked Gun. It's, you know, Airplane. It's that same style of ridiculously stupid comedy that I don't really care for, but some people really like. I didn't care for this either. But I did make it through the first three because they were at least tolerable and they're only like 15 minutes, so it wasn't that excruciating. But once I finished the third one, 
I was like, okay, it's time for bed. I had no interest in returning to more of it. So that'll tell you all that you need to know there. Okay. Well, technically, I got 54. Oh, okay. Um, oh, well, the ones I mentioned you recalled you wrote? Uh, yes. Or that you watched? Yes. At number 54, last place, you've already mentioned it, Motherland, Port mm. Salem. That was the one I forgot. It was so bad, I apparently didn't want to remember I watched it. One episode, I know. Don't worry about buying that on a, at the dollar DVD rack for the whole season or anything. Yeah, for a buck, it might be worth it if you have literally nothing else. But Maybe, but I can't even remember much about it except witches and stuff, so... Uh, uh, 53, uh, Belgravia on the Epics channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 53 season one. Uh, I classified it kind of as a da- Downton Abbey ripoff, but not quite that, but... Well, it's from the same creative team. It's kind of close. It's the same creative team, the same writer so, and creator and everything. So you see where it's coming from uh, it just wasn't that exciting uh, I only watched the first episode it could not grab my attention so definitely about the rich people of England I think from a long time ago so at 52 you've mentioned it Vagrant Queen on the sci-fi channel um, yeah you would it sounds good I mean, it follows Elida from child queen to orphaned outcast as she scavenges the treacherous corners of the galaxy. And she's always one step ahead of the Republic government out to extinguish her. Um, So yeah, it sounds exciting. But boy, that first episode just did not uh, do anything for me. Uh, So I'm not going to say much more on that one. Next one you've also mentioned. Boy, these must really be good if we both don't like them. <laughs> uh, dare me. A lot of it happens where I record it on the shared DVR, and then I'm yeah. like, oh, you could check this out too well, if you that, want. Yeah. Uh, dare me. Yes, on the USA Network. I watched the first episode only, which was 2019, so technically this one really shouldn't be on my list. Uh, I was not impressed with this. Uh no, I have no desire to watch any more of it. And at number 50, another one episode, watch Deputy from the Fox Network. Um, it reminded me of New Amsterdam, kind of. Uh, but New Amsterdam, where it deals with a hospital, <coughs> Deputy deals with a sheriff. And he comes into the job as deputy and he makes many changes that you know saves the department but in real life you just don't think they would work in real life Uh, and it's been officially canceled I think only aired six to eight episodes I think so obviously it was not very good (laughs) so that's my down to 50 all right Uh, so I guess I'll go all the way up to 40 or 44 or 45. 40. Okay. All right. Uh, at 
49, uh, Trial by Media. This is a Netflix docu-series uh, which highlights true crime cases that play out that played out largely in the media. Uh, I only bothered with the pilot of this as it could have been interesting, right? Uh, but the documentary seemed to take a stance. It was very Michael Moore in that it took a stance. Not this is not the stance Michael Moore would have taken if he directed this, uh. but. <laughs> that um, media involvement is always bad is the stance it seemed to take, uh, which is obviously not necessarily accurate and is usually highly inaccurate, that stance to take. Um, so, yeah, I didn't bother with more than the first one, um, but, you know, I don't know, other people might find it more palatable than I did. Uh, number 48, um, Lego Masters. This was a Fox production. Another in this recent surge in weird reality shows, like a couple we'll talk about later, like Ultimate Tag, Holy Moly, Don't, uh, or like The Big Flower Fight, which is a flower arranging show on Netflix, which I have not watched, but the trailer looked really nice. I've, I'm considering it. It seems pretty relaxing to check that one out I like making it or others like this um so again this is another i enjoy this kind of thing happen happening because it is a weird idea it's people it's a lego building competition so it's something different it wasn't very interesting but it, it's something different at least and it also this is probably a me issue uh but Will Arnett is the host of the show, which basically eternally, unless I'm watching Arrested Development, I think from here on out forever, I'm going to automatically, every time I see Will Arnett, just automatically assume this is some weird BoJack gimmick. That this is, that I, I don't know, it's going to be a challenge, but it's like the Game of Thrones actors. No matter what they're in, it's going to be, oh yeah, which we'll get into later when we talk about another, sh a couple shows actually, uh, where it's always going to be, oh, that's Marjorie Tyrell there, or whatnot, you know. But, yeah, so that was probably just a me issue, but um, I cannot fathom BoJack hosting a Lego building competition, which does actually sound like something that would have been done on BoJack, actually. Um, at number 47, Cosmos Possible Worlds. This was another on National Geographic. I only bothered with the first two. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is very uncharismatic and like overly smug about his presence here, which was really weird. Um, and I just did not care for. Uh, if I think if literally anyone else hosted this, it may have been better or it would have made me more interested to watch it at least. But Neil deGrasse Tyson is not good as the host, for me at least. I didn't care for him, but it, it's, I mean, it's technically fine, you know, but I didn't bother with much of it. Uh, number 46, Dirty John on USA. So, uh, it moved to USA after being on Bravo for season one. Uh, season two here. Uh, branches into anthology format as we go from covering the actual Dirty John 
story in season one, two. Uh, Betty Broderick is the case they decide to handle for season two. This decision to branch into anthology format was very weird. Um, you know, it's something I'll get into later when I talk about Miracle Workers season two is that it has, why are you keeping it Dirty John other than that known marketable brand name of Dirty John, right? Why are you keeping it that when this has nothing to do w with it, you know? Um, I don't know. Uh, it was pretty bizarre, ultimately pretty dull, um, but it's not, obviously it's not terrible, but it's nothing worth bothering with. Like, Dirty John, yeah, go just rewatch season one instead of, of bothering with this one. Uh, so at number 45, Space Force. So this is a Netflix show. This is Greg Daniels and Steve Carell, uh, the office pairing back again for another workplace satire. The problem with this is they're trying to satirize the unsatirizable, right? <laughs> That's not the right word. I don't know what is the right word. But okay. Like, so, because they decide to go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make a satire about the Space Force, right? You know, Trump's big space-faring police squad or whatever that he wanted to start or maybe did start i don't remember uh -huh. at this point uh but wow. okay like it, it's impossible to satirize something that inherently stupid like that's what makes the office kind of work which i have a lot of other issues with that this is not the venue for them nor the time for them but what kind of makes that work is that the general idea of working in an office isn't the dumbest idea on the face of the planet. There's nothing inherently stupid about its premise there. This one, you're dealing with the inherent stupidity of what is going on here. Okay. And somehow, I do not know how. They wrote, well, actually, I do know how because I don't think he says no to anything. But, like, John Malkovich is, like, a key player in this show. Uh. I don't think he turns anything down. That's my only guess, is he does not turn any offer down. Hmm. Okay. Well, he's like Bruce Willis or Nick Cage, where I don't think they turn anything down. Especially Nick Cage does not turn anything down in what jobs he accepts nor his actual acting performances but i it just doesn't work it, it's very hard to get because it's also very officey in terms of comedy in that it's mostly very stupid comedy right it's not like a highbrow like this isn't toast of london it's not this highbrow smart comedy it's very stupid silly comedy and when you're coming from a starting point of everything that we do here is inherently stupid, there's just no comedy to be found. Well, <laughs> okay. It's just annoying endlessly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. So I didn't care for it. 
Alrighty, at number 49 for me, another couple episode uh, show. For me, The Baker and the Beauty. It kind of takes the plot of Longshot, the movie, and puts it in a TV show. But this time you got a blue collar baker who strikes up a relationship with an international superstar. Yeah. Well, if I recall, this was like a. a wasn't this like an Iranian series that they adapted it or was something? A Israeli. Israeli, right. Okay. That they've adapted, or U.S. version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't have any sparks. It was too unbelievable. Um, I just watched the first two episodes of this series. It ran for nine episodes. It's been canceled. Um, it just didn't seem like it had much to show, and apparently with nine episodes only, it didn't. Uh, just didn't seem to be able to go anywhere. Another one that's already canceled, season one, number 48 on my list, Tommy by CBS on the CBS network. Um, Oh, I watched the first two. (laughs) Boy, uh, you see like a 30 second commercial or 15 second commercial that looks exciting. Well, that was the only 15 second exciting part of the whole show. So, really sad show. Uh, Don't even bother. At number 47, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Yeah, with Tiffany Haddish um, hosting. It was kind of funny in spots, but it's already been canceled also. A lot of my shows here are canceled, so... (laughs) Uh, I picked out the good ones, apparently. She, uh, you know. Well, when, you're also working in the world of network, where that's a thing that happens thing. often. Yeah. Um, she would, you know, interview some kids, and so, there were some skits that were very humorous, but it was just too boring for. I think it was an hour long show. It just got too. Bo- it could not handle an hour long. Uh, number forty six. Another one. I only watched the first couple episodes. The Council of Dads on NBC. Uh, it was an interesting premise, kind of, but it has also been canceled. Um, this the dad of a, I think there might have been two kids. He dies and he's left his friends. He says, I know these kids need a, a dad, so I want you to guys here, my friends, to be their dads. And eh, it just wasn't that great. Um, And last but not least, at number 45, you've mentioned it already, Lego Masters. I only watched the first episode. You know, I wasn't all that impressed, but some of the things you can, obviously we know that some of the things you can build with Legos are pretty amazing. And when you see these people, uh, groups of people, building something, and, you know, if you give me a year to build something, yeah, it could be amazing, but, I mean, these guys, these people are under a time limit to build something good. Some of them didn't work too well, but I I couldn't see where that one was going to go. 
All right. Well, at number 44 for me, we're still in the world of one to a few episodes only for me. Uh, number 44, I know this much is true. Uh, so this was an HBO show. I only bothered with the pilot. My only thing, really, um, Mark Ruffalo is going to get an Emmy nom for this, uh, for his dual role performance in this show. I almost guarantee that. Um, but that's really the only thing notable about this miniseries. Uh, Mark Ruffalo plays twins, uh, and he's great in it, but it's not interesting. Uh, like, one of them's, like, schizophrenic, and so they're trying to deal with that, and it, it's, I, I just didn't care for it. Um, Mark Ruffalo's great, though, so, uh, can't wait to see him get an Emmy nom for, for this, but that's about it. Uh, at number 43, The Midnight Gospel, which was a Netflix show. I only watched the first four episodes of this, as this is literally nothing but uh, truncated episodes of Duncan Trussell's podcast uh, that is played over animation sequences. If I was interested in these, I'd just check out the podcast, because those are like a full hour long where him and a random guest talk about whatever they want. Uh, instead of, you know, a 20-minute excerpt of it. The animation's nice and cool, looks really good, and is interesting to look at, but that's not enough to warrant me watching this. Uh, number 42, another docu-series from... Or no, not another docu-series. Well, I've talked about one already, but... Uh, so, Slow Burn, which was on FX... Um, on the bottom with the pilot, uh, it's an adaptation of the podcast. Uh, season one focuses on Watergate. So if you've heard the podcast, there's nothing new here. It's the same thing. You know, just bother with the podcast if you care. Or just watch the show. You don't need both of them. That's really the issue for me is, is, <laughs> is both of them. Just going, oh, I already heard about this from the pod already. I don't need to <laughs> watch this again. So, that was my big issue with it. Uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast, then the show's probably really good, because it is very well put together and interesting. It just wasn't new to me, you know. And number 41, Ultimate Tag. It was on Fox. This was a, like, tag competition hosted by the three Watt brothers, the football players. Um, it was really stupid, but it was pretty fun, I'll give it that, but I don't need to see more. It was maybe one of the, it's not the dumbest thing I've seen, because we'll get into what we do in the shadows later, but it was one of the dumbest things I've seen on television this year so far, and it was wonderful, but I don't need to bother with more of this. And at number 40, Lock and Key, shared on Netflix. So... I watched the first five episodes, which I think is about half of the first season, I think. I could be wrong. It may be 12 episodes. Um, so, this, this follows mostly child actors. So, they aren't that great, okay? You know, this isn't Stranger Things or It or anything. These aren't great child actors. They're okay. The concept, which comes from Joe Hill who 
at this point I have become convinced may only have a writing career due to the fact that he's Stephen King's son because I don't know if he would ever get published with some of these things otherwise although since I haven't actually read any of his stuff he may just be saddled with truly awful adaptations much like his father is um, nonetheless this is from his comic series uh, this uh, concept is pretty interesting so it's about a set of keys that have power over the various elements of reality so it's kind of like the uh, the infinity stones or whatever from the Marvel movies it's kind of like that right over like time and death and memory and whatnot uh, so there is an interesting concept at play here but the child actors were too much for me to overcome really with this show um, and it, it wasn't all that interestingly put together uh, I'd like to see it done differently it could be really good I think that that idea could be done really goodly that's great English <laughs> uh, could be done really well and in an interesting way but this was not was not it could be <laughs> yeah okay huh well, my next five. A few more that you've already mentioned. At number 44, War of the Worlds. Uh, it started out really good, but boy, it trailed off and it needed to end a lot sooner than it did. And they just dragged it on and on and on and on, like I could with this, but I'm not going to. Uh, just too much. Uh, 43. FBI, Most Wanted. It's on CBS. Season 1 has ended. Season 2 has been renewed. Uh, or it's been renewed for Season 2. Um, you know, I don't really like the cast of this. Uh, this That's why it's down so far. And it's, it's a spinoff of the FBI series, of course. Uh, as CBS likes to do a, all these spinoff things. Uh, and the plots are very similar to the FBI ones. And this one is subtitled Most Wanted. And yet you have the FBI Most Wanted going out looking for someone who stole a pack of gum and stuff. It's like, I can't believe some of these criminals are the most wanted. Uh <laughs> That's my biggest problem with that show and the cast. I don't really like the cast. And number 42, you mentioned Ultimate Tag. Yes, J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, and I don't know, Dodo Watt or whatever. Uh, I think it's a neat ideal, but I only watched the first episode as I, I can't imagine, you know, what are they going to do different? It's... Okay, you got these superstars out there who are trying to, you know, take the flags off uh, normal people. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, but yeah, it could use a lot of ref refinement, I think. And at number 41, you also mentioned Dirty John. Season 2, it's the story of Betty Broderick. Yes, it's good, but... Uh, for me, it goes back and forth in time too much, and there's like three or four different time periods, and it just 
goes back and forth between them way too much. Uh, yeah, I, I know from our Chris <laughs> Nolan discussions, your great handle of sequential narrative and well, being able to handle non-sequential storytelling. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know, it's just too much for me. And at number 40, Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. On NBC, it was like 10 episodes or so. It's been officially canceled, so we won't see any more of this. Um, it just... I, there was something missing. It was kind of exciting, but... Isn't it, that the one where like the main character's stuck in his bed the whole show? Yeah, he's stuck in a wheelchair in a bed. He can't move. Right, so there's, a, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. <laughs> Not a whole lot, but what really kills me is... It's, it's like that Abby show uh, where when your whole set is one bar and you have no other sets, there's not a lot you can do. Well, this one had a lot of other sets. Yes, but when your main character can only be in one location, you can't do a whole lot. You can't do a whole lot, and, you know, Lincoln Rhyme is the name, of course, on the title, so he's got to be the one to, to, to discover stuff. Mm -hmm. And it always killed me how you got 20 FBI agents walking out here in this park and he's watching on the TV on his monitor and, hey, George, what's that coin over there in the corner? And this guy will walk over 80 feet or something and, oh, this could be a piece of the main evidence, you know, and like. Of course, he Lincoln Ryan had to be the one to see the coin, you know. Well, it's like, <laughs> no, sorry. There's too many of those things that just no, sorry. It just wasn't that great to me. That's why it's number forty on my list, and and it has been canceled, as I said. All right, number thirty-nine. This is the last pilot only for me. After this, we get into ones I actually watched more than like two episodes of. Oh, boy. At number 39, The Plot Against America. Uh, David Simon, of course, most notably, who wrote and created The Wire, uh, his newest HBO series, uh, which I thought you may have watched the pilot of this, too. Um, I thought, but who knows. Um tells a parabolic tale of Charles Lindbergh winning the presidency in the 1940s, leading America into a fascistic dictatorship. Ultimately a supremely unsubtle political satire, although nothing can really be subtle in that department at this point anymore, really. Um, that, while, you know, haunting and well thought out, uh, was a bit tepid in its execution for me. And number 38, the worst thing that I actually sat through multiple episodes of, Prodigal Son from Fox. So this is the last 10 episodes of the season. That's all that is eligible for this. After a promising start, which is all the stuff from last year, that was interesting. That was some good stuff. This last 10 episodes felt like the network gave the creators a bunch of extra episodes they weren't expecting to have, so they had to come up with something on the spot, basically. They just had to improv episodes, 
and this is not Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery. These are TV drama writers who don't have an improv bone in their body. So they had no idea what they were doing. It felt like a lot of the time they were just coming up with random stuff. There were very weird tonal issues with very weirdly placed comedic beats that made no sense uh, and led into a completely ridiculous and stupid final... I hate to even call it a twist reveal, but that's what they planned it as, it felt like. Yes. That no one could have predicted, not because it's so wildly out of left field, but because the character that's mostly involved isn't introduced until like four episodes before the end. It's like, okay, what on earth are you doing? This would be like if Game of Thrones did not introduce Bran Stark as a character until midway through season seven or something. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this is the guy. And it's like, well, at least he'd been there from the premiere. So, fine. This was so dumb and such a waste of time. This show. Watch basically the first, I'd say, I think the first half, that may be ten episodes. Like, Watch the first 10 episodes, leave it at that. Don't bother with the rest, if you're asking me. And number 37, Nailed It, uh, returns for, I think, season 4 or 5 at this point. Um, which, is, it's getting a bit tiresome, you know. They need to figure out something different to do here. Uh, you know, Nicole Byer's effervescent personality does help keep it afloat but she can only carry you so far by herself. Uh, it does still provide for a decent laugh every episode, mostly because of Nicole Byer's presence or the complete ineptitude of the bakers on the show, which is mostly the main draw, is that these are really terrible bakers competing on a baking competition. That's the draw of the show. So it does work in that department, but it needs help and it needs something to reinvigorate it because it is getting it's the same thing over and over like it's it's the same problem that i have with um well actually there isn't really another cooking show because most of the main is to change things up every every time uh, like chopped is different every episode uh you know worst cooks in america they're very smart to keep their whole thing only like 10 episodes before they bring in someone new uh this one is mostly the same thing over and over and over and it, it's getting tiresome, once again. And number 36, The Most Dangerous Animal of All. So this was a docu-series produced by FX. Um, it follows one man's journey to discover his biological father's identity. Uh, it is very compelling and well-produced, uh, but it's a little, like, it, it's very suspect at first you know of like okay that's kind of tenuous at best but okay sure and then by the 30th one of those then you get to the final episode and you're like oh i see i see what you were doing so it is a, a rewarding documentary experience because uh, that final episode is stunning it is phenomenal work that final episode uh, it's a lot like um, Three Identical Strangers, the movie from a couple years ago, that documentary movie, where like the first like half hours, like 
Okay, that's weird, but okay, sure, whatever. There's another hour, what, what, and then the twist hits in that movie. And you're like, okay. And it gets very fascinating. This is that, except the first three hours are like, okay, uh, sure, okay. This is like decent, but where are you going with this? And then it then finally after hour three it hits. Or really it's like three hours and like twenty minutes it hits and you're like, okay. Like the last forty minutes is great. Before that is like okay. So it's not great. That's obviously why it's this low on the list, but it, it was it's solid. If you have four free hours to kill, this is the worst way to spend four hours. It's far from the best, but it's not the worst way to spend four hours. Uh, number 35, The Connors, is on ABC. Um, I'll, I'll start it with this. This is by far the best traditional sitcom on network television, if you're asking me. But it's 35th on the list. But it's the best one of its kind for me. Um, it just... It, it might be me that just I don't care for this kind of show all that much in general. That to me, there's only so far you can go with a traditional sitcom that it, it just has inherent problems that it just can't overcome because of, of its genre limitations, right? Uh, all in all, the Connors, though, it, it's good for a laugh maybe two if it's lucky every episode and that's really all you can ask out of a very basic sitcom at this point but it is getting pretty stale so they're gonna have to come up with something to reinvigorate it which i don't think they're going to do because traditional network sitcoms are very averse to shaking up what they're doing you know so i doubt that'll come but if it does, that'll be really nice. And I can't wait to see what reinvigoration they go with. Hmm. Okay. All right. At number 39 for me, Don't. On ABC, it's a game show, give or take. We'll get into it later. It's kind of a game show. I've watched the first couple. It, it's... A little bit exciting, but there's eh, just not enough there to keep me interested, so I probably won't watch any more. So apparently you're going to say a lot more later. Uh, a bit more, A yes. bit more. Okay, not a lot more. No, I'm going to but... spend a whole hour. I have a whole hour-long essay written out about Don't and uh, how just don't. how incredible the show is. <laughs> yes. At number 38, SEAL Team from CBS. Yes, it's already been renewed for season four. Yes, oh boy. I really did, you know, I like the, there's like two different stories in each episode. One, they go and rescue somebody usually. Those are basically the same episode after episode. Pretty boring. And the other stories are like their home stories, what they do when they're not rescuing people. Uh, those I used to enjoy a lot, but they've gone way downhill. They, I think the people just don't know what to do with them anymore. Uh, 
you know, how many times can you just go home and, oh, yeah, I was gone for two months, now I'm home. Woohoo! Let's wash the car. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they did have a two and a half month layoff in the middle of this season. So uh, I thought they had canceled it, but they came back and it's been renewed. Um, I think last year, boy, this was like in my top 10. So it's gone way downhill. Uh, number 37, I've only watched the first few episodes. So I really want to watch the rest of these as it could be interesting. It's on Amazon Prime, Tales from the Loop. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you'll mention this one later. Yep. Uh, I don't really have that much to say since I've only watched the first couple episodes, but they're pretty good. I really like the second one uh, a lot more than the first episode. Uh, and number 36. You've mentioned, but you didn't really... You've just mentioned it in passing. Worst Cooks in America. On the Food Network, I I watched one or two episodes. It was pretty funny, but I'm not too much into cooking shows, so I watched the first couple, and I don't need to see any more of those. Though they could probably be pretty funny. Uh, at number 35, you mentioned this one, and mentioned it well. The most dangerous animal of all on FX. Yes, um, you know, spoiler, yes, um, he wants to find his biological father, should I give away who, in the first couple episodes he thinks it is, but I won't, um, eh, it's okay, but that's why it's at 35, it's not, it's not great, but it, it's worth watching. Uh, number 34, this was one I wasn't sure if I should put on here or not. Um, so Creep Show is here. So technically this did premiere last year on Shudder, but this was its broadcast debut. So I decided, you know what, since I'm counting Toast of London, which technically came out three years ago or four years ago, but did not receive an American airing until now. I decided, okay, I'm doing that with Toast to London. And Creep Show, because they decided to broadcast it on network television, I'm going to count for it being now, even though this is technically came out like last October. So that's why it's on here. Um, so this is an episodic anthology that technically there's two stories in each episode. I'm not entirely sure if that's maybe a change for the broadcast and that it originally aired on, it originally came out as 12 individual like 20 minute episodes instead of six like 45 minute ones maybe I don't know doesn't really matter no either way it's an episodic anthology and like is the case with all of these you know like whether that be Twilight Zone or uh, Tales from the Crypt or Night Gallery any of this stuff some of them are pretty interesting and really good, and some of them are really bad. This one's much like that. Uh, there's about, like, I think three of them that I thought were really, really good, and the rest were pretty iffy. At times, I was wondering, because uh, this is from Greg Nicotero, who made The Walking Dead, 
So I was wondering, uh, made The Walking Dead show, not the comics, obviously. Uh, you know, how much of this, because at times I was like, okay, is this like supposed to be intentionally campy? Like, are they trying to evoke bad 80s horror? Is that what they're trying to do at some points? Because there, there's this like werewolf episode in this. Like, the effects is obviously like, oh, that's bad effects work, even by modern budget TV standards. These are bad effects. So I was like, okay, are they are they doing that intentionally to try and evoke, like, an American werewolf in London, which is, like, horrible effects work? Like, are they trying to evoke that kind of silly, campy 80s horror feel? Or am I just giving it too much credit? And it's not trying to do that. It's just that's the best they could do. So there were times where I was debating with that with myself. Of like, okay, is this intentionally campy or is this just bad? Right? It's like plan nine. Is this intentionally funny or is this intentionally, you know, campy and weird and funny? Or is this just straight up bad and they think they're doing really good? It's the same issue I have at times with like The Room. It's like, okay, is Tommy Wiseau intentionally trying to be really weird to make this kind of funny? Or is he just this bad that he thinks this is great? Which obviously with Tommy Wiseau, that's, that he thinks it's great. But, you know, that's, again, later. Um, but that would be a good one for our one, one movie series would be The Room. Although Tommy Wiseau technically has other movies. But, boy. Anyway, um, so... It was clunky at times, but Creepshow, all in all, is like, it's fine. You know? It's not the worst thing, obviously. Uh, number 33, Sex Explained, which is a Netflix uh, edutainment series. It's, it's informative, uh, and, you know, it's interesting, but it's not all that remarkable, but it's fine. Uh, you know, it's a solid, like, maybe like two hours to watch the whole thing. So it's like, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, number 32, Worst Cooks in America. Technically, we have had two seasons this year. I think you only watched from the first one that started, that was in January. Uh, but a new one just started up uh, last week as of recording this. So, oh, okay. um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same old thing, you know. Uh, it's funny at times. It's nothing special. It is what it is. It's fine. Uh, at 31, Will and Grace on NBC. So this is the final 13 episodes of the season and of the series, I hope, at this point, honestly. Um, it's supposed to be. Good. Uh, although, honestly, I can't imagine, like, 60-year-old uh, Eric McCormick playing this character again, but who knows. Uh, well, actually, he might be fine, but I, I, I could not imagine, like, 60-year-old Sean Hayes doing Jack McFarlane still. Uh, although I would like to see 60-year-old Megan Mullally playing Karen uh, Walker still. Uh. Um, anyway, so after two mostly worthless seasons of this revival, the third and assuredly final season mostly figured out, finally... How to make an artifact of the late 90s, early 2000s somewhat relevant in modern times. They didn't pull it off entirely because it is still hamstrung by its main characters, honestly. Um, 
This revival should mostly be treated as an instruction manual on how not to update an old show for a modern audience. Uh, while a similar show, One Day at a Time, the newest revival of that from like five years ago, shows us exactly how you should do this. Uh, you know, Will and Grace, as I said, it's mostly hamstrung by its, not, not necessarily by Grace, though she is a little iffy, but it's mostly hamstrung by Will and Jack, right? That the two character, it's two main characters, right? When the show came out in like 96, maybe? Like sometime in the late to mid 90s, it's like, oh, okay, we've never had a show, especially not on network television, where two of its four main characters are openly gay men, right? So that was like the big thing, right? Where just by that in and of itself, it was so remarkable. But when you get to 2018, 2017, it's like, okay, that's not enough. Like, that's not notable, necessarily. Unfortunately, it is still to an extent, but not as notable. And the thing that really stands out, even like when you go back and watch those old Will and Graces, is like, Will is supposed to be... Like, Jack is supposed to be, like, the super stereotypical gay guy, right? And Will is supposed to, like, not be. But you go back and watch those old episodes, and you're like, no, Will is. He's just not as flamboyant about it. But he's still, like, a straight-up stereotype of a gay character. So it, it's kind of hamstrung by that in a modern context. Because you're going, like, sure, this is truthful to some gay men. Sure, yes, of course. But... It's presenting it as this is the only existence of gay men, which is a very reductive way to show it, which we'll get into this later when I get into Love, Victor. But, um, you know, it's a very interesting artifact of its time. Uh, and them bringing it back and not figuring out how to make that differently, because they do try at times, I will admit that, they do try and go like, oh, they don't obviously explicitly say, oh, Will and Jack are stereotypes and aren't really that interesting of characters and blah, blah, blah. They obviously don't come out and say that because this isn't BoJack or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where we're going to get this super meta episode. But they do try and address it when they bring in usually like younger characters to come in. Uh, but they do still fall into the same issues of like, but they frame it as Will and Jack are artifacts of their time and can't wrap their heads around modern gay people. So that was kind of interesting to do that at times. Um, but ultimately, uh, the show, I think, really, as I said, just really should be treated as this is how not to do a revival of a show. If you want to see how, go check out the, the new One Day at a Time. That is... How you do it. Hmm. Huh. Although that one's also very different, right? Because that initially was like, what, from the 70s? Uh, or the 60s, maybe? Somewhere in that range? The 60s, 70s or 80s. Right. And then like, oh, okay, and then it's the 2010s. So that's obviously a, a huge difference. And the 90s to the 2010s is still a very huge difference, particularly in this regard that Will and Grace is dealing with mostly. Um, but, you know, nonetheless... That's really what this this three-season run is good for, is this is how not to do this in the future. 
Okay, well, one day at a time, I mean, it's also not... Right, it's not the same cast it's and not the stuff. Same cast. Right, right. It's not... Right, it's a complete remake of the show, yeah. right. I mean, yeah, it's a complete remake. Um, I guess maybe the actual, the better one than One Day at a Time would be um, The Connors, right, the with Connors. Roseanne. Like, that's kind of how you do update it for a more modern audience. Yeah. That, sh- I guess that's what I should should have said instead of One Day at a Time. But that's how, if you're going to bring a show back in this way, The Connors is the way you should update, not what Will and Grace did. It would be better, yes. Uh, so, ooh, at number 34 for me, this is another new show that, our uh, remake of an older show, Magnum P.I. This is the season two continuing. Um, it started off with a Hawaii Five-O crossover event, which was pretty decent. Um, it's been renewed for season three already. Unfortunately for me, it's getting old. Magnum, this version of Magnum, yeah, I don't really like him. Uh, I think it's Jay Hernandez. Uh, and it seems like Magnum always gets in some sort of trouble and all his friends go bail him out because he doesn't have a, you know, a real job. He makes no money, practically. Uh, so it just, the uh, episodes are just too similar So for me. Up at 33 is FBI, which I mentioned earlier about the FBI Most Wanted. This is the original. Season 2 continued. It's been renewed for Season 3. And yes, once again, this is the same old thing. Uh, the two main characters just go and do the same. It's not always the same type of plot, but very similar. At... Number 32, The Unicorn. Nah, it's not about a real unicorn. Uh, This was the continuation of season one. This is a widowed man. Once you're widowed, apparently they call you a unicorn. Um, I've never heard that. I've heard a lot of other uses for unicorn in a... a Sexual context, but not that one. That's what they call it. And he continues to look for love. Yeah. For me, it was very surprisingly, it was renewed for a season two because I really didn't think it was all that good. Um, it doesn't seem to be all that funny for a sitcom, but hey, it was renewed. At number 31, Nancy Drew on the CW. Yes, it's been renewed for season two. Nancy continues solving crimes. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but in the olden days, Nancy used to be a very wholesome... A very pious figure. You know, yes, girl. And this is a, like, sexed-up Riverdale thing. This is a Mm sexed-up one, so... Well, I I think part of that could be, I could be mistaken, but in the original books, isn't she, like, 12? Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. And this one's like... she's 18 or 19. So it's like... uh, One of those would be a big issue. And also those books were written in like the 40s. The 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. I understand. But it's just not my Nancy Drew. Which I understand. You gotta update it. Sure. Um, 
So yes, I'm not a real fan of this Nancy Drew, but some of the extra storylines are interesting, but nothing too fantastic. And at number 30, one you, I don't know how it keeps going, but <clears throat> season eight, Last Man Standing, uh, and it's been officially renewed for season nine. I don't know how it keeps going. Um, it just keeps going. It's funny in some spots. It has Jay Leno as a, you know, a guest star on there, who's kind of a regular now. Uh, it doesn't really have that many laughs per episode, uh, but it does have Tim Allen, and maybe he's the reason it keeps going. Other than that, that's it for my thirty-four to thirty. All right. Well, apparently I forgot to mention 30 after my giant Will and Grace diatribe. So, oh, uh, number 30 for me <laughs> Whoops. is uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I didn't on you. Oh, that's fine. Uh, so Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. This is another NBC production. Uh, so the show is built around this idea that Zoe can hear people's internal monologues through pre-existing songs. And that is my core issue with the show. These are pre-existing songs. Uh, the musical sequences are choreographed very well, largely thanks to Mandy Moore, who most of you will know from her choreography for La La Land, uh, her contributions. But the show would improve drastically if the songs were original and not pre-existing songs. But... I obviously can't expect every single show that involves music in some capacity to be Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or Galavan or even Dave, which those are all original songs as well, although they were mostly terrible from the one episode I watched, but that's a different thing. At least it was an orig it was original, which is, you know, whatever. I, I understand that I shouldn't expect every single musical show to be that, even though I named mostly every single musical show of the last five years there. Uh, I should expect Glee more than anything else, because that's the only one of the three that was popular. So, you know, is what it is. Um, but that's my biggest issue, is that there's only as far as you can go. I will admit it is sometimes interesting to see what songs they choose to use uh, to convey things is interesting, and some choices I would not have ever expected to be used. Uh, in that particular context necessarily, but it works. It works a lot better than I thought it was going to, admittedly. Um, so it is fun, uh, you know, but is it like great television? No, but it's a lot better than I was expecting going into it. I'll give it that. Uh, number 29, Joe Para Talks With You. From Adult Swim, this is the last nine episodes. Uh, still the most comforting and relaxing show on television, as the whole thing is just Joe Parrott talking about random things with you. Uh, if you want to accompany him through a 20-minute trip through the grocery store, there's an episode. If you want to watch him talk about planting beans for 20 minutes, there's an episode. If you want to watch him uh, attend a parlor beauty parlor appointment of his grandmother's and he just sits in the waiting room for 20 minutes there's an episode 
It's a very comforting, very relaxing show. Uh, so that's really all there is to say. Very, very nice. And number 28, Briar Patch. Oh, boy. Um, so this was on USA. Um, so uh, noted television critic Andy Greenwald wrote and created the show. Um, so it was very fascinating to see kind of while I was watching going like, okay, so this is what Greenwald thinks is like incredible television. Cause why would he write anything that he would think is bad? Right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I would hope you're not intentionally writing stuff you think is bad. Cause that would be really <laughs> dumb. Uh, yeah. Let's hope not. So I was sitting there going, okay, this is what Greenwald thinks makes interesting, fascinating television. Now, I think he's wrong because I was bored by a lot of this. Um, it feels a lot like a Coen Brothers movie, which I also, because it's Greenwald, I think is very intentional. Um, you know, uh, you know, he fellow Ringer employee of Andy Greenwald, Sean Fennessy. He's not exactly a Fennessy-level Coen Brothers guy. I know I'm getting into, like, weird niche media circles now, but nonetheless, um, he's, you know, a very big Coen person. So it's like, okay, I see why he's trying to do a Coen thing, but there's a good reason. Coen Brother movies are almost exclusively, like, two hours Two and a half hours, not ten hours like this is. Because this is ten hour long episodes. So there's a good reason why Coen Brother movies are not ten hours long. Because there's not enough things for them to fit in it. Rosario Dawson is great in the lead role. Is, she, has the, she has a ridiculous name. I forget what it is. It's something really stupid. But... Um, but she's great here. Um, this felt way too long. Like, I would say maybe, like, you could cut, like, four episodes out of this. Oh, yeah. Maybe five. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. cut it in half, and it would be a lot better. Like, this would be a great Coen Brothers movie. I, I will say that. Like, this would have been a great Coen Brothers movie at the two-hour length. This would have been great. But as a ten-hour TV miniseries... It's not terrible, okay? It's way too long, though. But it's fine. Um, at number 27, we're actually going to get back-to-back -back Netflix picks. Number 27, The Circle, which is a new, to America, reality competition that is so dumb, but very addictive to watch, which is most reality shows, right? Um, I, I mean, how else do you explain America's Got Talent is still making, like, season 28 or whatever, right? I don't know what they're on. Probably 15. not that many. 15, okay. 15. Nonetheless. <laughs> uh, so this is a group of people is locked into an apartment complex, and they cannot leave their rooms. They can only interact with each other through social media. So all they can do is basically, like, email each other. Uh, and they have to suss out kind of who's impersonating who, uh, is someone impersonating someone or all these people, you know, being authentic and all this kind of stuff. Right. So it's kind of interesting. It's very, very dumb, 
but I enjoyed spending time with it, even though it was one of the dumbest things I've ever sat through. Only to be topped by an even dumber thing I sat through this year, Tiger King. The docu-series following Joe Exotic is one of the dumbest things I've ever enjoyed watching in a you know, in a television context. Because there are dumb things I've loved, you know. Fast and Furious, those are some of the dumbest movies you will ever watch. But a few of them are really fun. Most are kind of terrible, I think. But some are really fun. Um, after watching this, I do think I understand, finally, why people love... Some people, not me, but some people love, like, Real Housewives or... Uh, Vanderpump Rules or like all those other trashy reality shows like that. Keeping up with the Kardashians. You know, all that kind of stuff. I think I get it after watching this because this show provided me something I don't think I would ever have gotten the chance to see, which is a long-term relationship, more or less, basically, through watching this with this meth-addicted gay man's tiger-filled life that I would not have experienced in any other way, most likely. Never know if I was driven to the rural areas of Oklahoma, who knows. But, most likely would never have experienced this any other way. It's fascinating and captivating in a horror-stricken awe kind of way where you're just sitting there watching this like how are who are these people what on earth am I watching these are like the most despicable people on the planet or some of them and they are what is this that I am watching that's what that's the whole time you're sitting there essentially going what am I watching I'm watching this like 60-year-old bald man with like a three-foot-long mustache talk about this like sex cult he runs at his zoo, basically. You're like, okay, what on earth is this? And then you have Joe Exotic going on about how like, yeah, I'm married to two men, you know, and then you get eventually into it and like, oh, okay, they weren't actually into you. You just provided them with meth nonstop, so they were down for this. Like, okay, cool. And boy, it is the most bizarre and strange thing I have ever sat through. Okay. It is so stupid. But I did enjoy it. And number 25... Don't on ABC. Adam Scott and Ryan Reynolds doing a network television friendly version of Deadpool host this, I can't class this as anything other than like a meta examination of what a game show is. Uh, it is the funniest thing I've seen on network television this year. Uh, it'll probably wear thin eventually because all of these game shows do for me but it is so weird so bizarre and is just so filled with 
the weirdest jokes that it does literally feel like it, it does at times feel like this is literally like if Deadpool made a game show, this is what it would be. Would be because like the actual game part of it isn't terribly challenging. Like they're mostly pretty simple. Uh huh. So most it's like there's not this level of like intrigue from oh can they figure out the game or can they answer these very easy trivia questions right? Because it's not about that, you know. It's more about the dynamic between the host and the audience is really what this show's about, which is very weird. Uh, and it mostly works. I do think if you had a lesser actor, like if you not have Adam Scott doing this, it would probably fall apart. Like what? What was that weird show? The one with the giant wheel that was like millions of dollars. What was that? Spin the wheel. Or... Something like that, right? From last year that had yeah. Dax Shepard hosting. Yeah. If Dax Shepard was hosting this, it would fall apart immediately. But Adam Scott has the right mixture of comedic ability and ability to be completely awkward and seem like he doesn't know what's happening, that he makes it work, weirdly enough. So it's a very interesting and compelling show, but I halt to call it good but it's very interesting okay what they're doing here i'll give them that okay all righty at 29 for me in the dark on the cw season two um it's about the blind lady uh she runs a pet dog grooming business uh, she's got a couple employees there. They're involved in this. She's got a lot of trouble going on right now. Uh, they're dealing drugs. They're they're coerced into dealing drugs, etc. Oh, all kinds of things are going on with this show now. It's renewed for season three. It's pretty decent. Uh, and at number twenty-eight, I don't know. This was. Four episodes, I think it was Jeopardy, the greatest of all time. Um, yes, the three greatest players in Jeopardy history went head to head. Each episode was a one hour per night in prime time. Whew, boy. Uh, honestly, I love Jeopardy, but that's eh, a little bit too much. Uh, so it was a good show, but uh, ended up 28th on my list here. So uh, one you went through quite detailed here at 27 for me, Briar Patch. Definitely a senator's aide returns to her small corrupt hometown of San Bonificio, Texas, which was near the U.S.-Mexico border. She's there to investigate the death of her sister. Ah, uh, yes, it's way too long, way too long, way too long. <clears throat> it's a good story, but whew, five episodes would have been plenty, probably. Uh, I think this one was ten or so. Mm-hmm. Just way too long. 
Uh, number 26, Man with a Plan. Matt LeBlanc's uh, great uh, series. This was season four. It was only a short 13-episode season. Uh, the show was running out of ideals. They've canceled it now as there just wasn't anything left to do with that show. And at number 25, you mentioned this one earlier, way, 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 way earlier, I believe. Uh, Snowpiercer on TNT. Uh, it's pretty decent, but, you know, the they brought a person up from the back of the train to solve a murder. He did it in the second or third episode, and I was like, mm -hmm. what are they going to do now? He solved the murder. So they're trying to throw all kinds of different things in now. Uh, so I'm like, okay, where can this go from here? I don't know, but I'll continue watching for a while. Mm. And that's my 29 to 25. Well, that's quick. All right, at 24, <laughs> History 101, which is another Netflix uh, document, not really documentary, I guess, but uh, edutainment thingy. Uh, it's informative and entertaining in equal parts. You'll learn bits about how we got to today. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it's interesting and informative. You might learn some new things. You might mm -hmm. not. Obviously, that depends on your prior knowledge of these subjects, of course. But uh, it, it's solid. Uh, number 23, Miracle Workers Dark Ages. So this is season two of Miracle Workers. They, they went with an anthology thing. And much like the qualm I have with Dirty John, and I'm going to have it again later when we talk about Penny Dreadful, I don't know why this has the Miracle Workers brand. Because other than the cast, it has nothing to do with that first season whatsoever. Other than, oh, here's Daniel Radcliffe, and here's Steve Buscemi, and here's the other people whose names elude me off the top of my head. So, it's like, okay, what does this have to do with anything? Because, like, Miracle Workers was about, like, a group of, like, angels helping people, like, have their prayers answered or something, if I remember right. And this is about... A king in medieval Europe and his bumbling son trying to figure out how to, like, live in medieval Europe or something. It's like, this has nothing to do with... How are these related other than the cast? And it's not. Um, I will say, though, if you disregard that... Because, like, at least Dirty John and Penny Dreadful, I get why you would do it. Because those two are you know, recognizable to a certain audience brands, you know. Miracle Workers was not. Like, not many people watched season one. I'm sure less people watched this one. So, <laughs> what? I don't know. But, huh. you know, nonetheless, if I disregard that, this presented as it was is... It's fine. It's very funny. Uh, you know, the comedy is still really, really good, just like it was season one. Uh, and it manages to be um, heartwarming and touching at times as well. 
and is all in all a very solid comedy. So I'll, I'll give it that. Uh, number 22, The Innocence Files, which is another Netflix docu-series. This examines many cases about, I think, I think it's 10 episodes, and I think they cover six cases, because a couple of them they spend two episodes on, um, of innocent people being imprisoned, mostly sentenced to death, um, who obviously did not commit this crime they were convicted of. Uh, and you learn through this about how police investigations are actually handled uh, and is disheartening, but, you know, is very informative and interesting and will make, for those who don't understand it, uh, our current situation a bit more understandable, you know, so... It's good for that, and it's also very interesting. Um, you know, I think I do think the first case they cover, they spend three whole episodes on, which is like three hours. So that one is a bit lengthy. I don't think they needed three full hours on that one case. But other than that, really good. I do highly recommend viewing The Innocence Files. On Netflix. And number 21, who boy, there were some big problems, but some also really good stuff with this one. Doctor Who. So, oh boy. Um, there were some very troublesome lore additions and retcons thrown in, as there are pretty much every season of Doctor Who at this point. Uh, it, you know, it, it just happens. Um, otherwise, if I disregard those, which is hard to, because that's kind of the big thing of the season, of course, uh, is this is a very good season. It's not great, you know, uh, but it's good. Uh, Jodie Whittaker continues to be an awesome doctor, even if she's not written that well or given much to do most of the time. <laughs> um, but she's great with what she's given, uh, even though her companions are completely worthless. I think if you got rid of all of them, the, the show would not really change. Like, they just, like, Chibnall just has no idea how to use them. It's really wild. Um, he barely understands how to use the doctor. He really doesn't understand how to use the companions. It's really weird. Um, the effects are great. The ridiculous idea to bring the master back is mostly wasted on completely trivial and stupid plot details, but that's what they did. Um, so all in all, it's fine. It has some major problems, but all in all, I did really enjoy this season of Doctor Who, which is a step forward after last season. So that got it this high, amazingly enough. Because really, there has not been that much great television, but we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, so at number 20, I have... Um, Project Blue Book, which is a History Channel show. So after a rather bumpy first season, uh, the second fixes most of those issues. 
there's a big tone down of the whole like uh, military plot stuff, which was the big issue I had last season. They tone that down. They also get rid almost entirely of the uh, the Russian spy plot that they had in the first season. They get rid of that basically entirely. So this is mostly just all about the actual alien investigation stuff, which is very interesting and compellingly put together. So if you're into that or you really want to see some of the most bizarre accent work ever from Aiden Gillen, definitely check this one out because his accent work is really, really bizarre the whole time. Though it's Aiden Gillen, so it's always really, really bizarre. Um, but it's there. It's very fascinating to try to figure out what in the world he's trying to do. Uh, and that maybe alone is worth watching this for. Because he does some insane accent work in this that I still have no idea what he's going for. Okay. It's much like Tom Hardy. Half the time I have no idea what he is even shooting for. Hmm. All righty. At 24 for myself, Evil on CBS. Ah, oh, yes, can you believe it's getting more strange? If that is even possible. Uh, it has been renewed for season two, and only three episodes of season one aired in 2020, so not a whole, whole bunch of episodes to choose from. But the evil just keeps coming. Yeah, this is where these people go investigate demons and and things like that uh, I don't know where it's gonna go from here but to me if it doesn't you know if they don't include some amusement if they don't include some different kind of things in season two it's not gonna last too long um, at 23 Carol's second act also on CBS uh, the hospital hijinks continues, yes, but it has been officially canceled now. Uh, the show, it was running on empty those last few episodes anyway. I think they were just phoning it in. They knew it was canceled, I guess. Um, this one starred uh, Patricia, uh, Patricia Heaton of Everybody Loves Raymond and The Middle and other stuff. Um, she was a intern at a hospital and just tried way too hard to make the laughs come. No good. At number 22, Manifest, season two. It started with a bang. Yeah, we kind of saw where they were going to go. It's been renewed for season three, but we still don't know. You know, they were on that plane that disappeared for five years and they came back. They were the same age when they left. And we still don't know what what has happened to them on the plane. Have they gotten into like multiple timelines where in one the this event did not occur type stuff? Not yet. Okay, they're not in lost territory. No. Okay, they're not in season four lost territory. No, they still okay. don't know what has what happened that was five years. But, of course, things happened with these people that were gone for five years, so no one in the world likes them and, and things like that. Um, eh, it's still pretty good, but uh, we'll see if it ever gets better. At number 21, 
Yes, you've you mentioned this as season 15, America's Got Talent. It's the same old thing, except this year the pandemic has caused them to be a little bit different, I think. They used to show, I thought they used to show quite a few acts each episode, but now they've stretched each act out and tell more of the history of that person, more of the background, and now they only have like eight acts a show. And, uh, it's hit that fast forward button a lot on this show this year. Hmm. Uh, just to get through them, they just not very many acts this year. And at number 20, another mainstay on my list, MacGyver, the remake. Of course, this is season four already. It only had 13 episodes in uh, season three, or in season four. Uh, it's been renewed for season five, though. Um, they're trying to add things that sometimes they start down a path that's like, you're not going that way, are you? you're not going there and then they of course wiggle out of it and go back to the real thing which sometimes it's like no you can't there's no way that could happen what kill off macgyver or something uh well no it, you know well, they, they don't always, they don't go that stupid no they're like okay we know you can't do this no the leader of this um i forget what it's called now but uh the branch they they work for um she's she's the short actress that was in boston legal and i, I don't know her name but that does not help me any <laughs> she's the short her, her name on the show is maddie but anyway yeah, that helps less <laughs> that helps thank less. you but she's like the leader she's the the leader of this uh group now uh-huh like halfway through the episodes where there's no possible way but someone was leaking information to evil dudes and they were all pointing at her as where were you on this night you you probably did you were the one leaking the information it's like there's no way she was doing this i mean we've seen before that why no uh-huh <laughs> and they they started down that path and then no at the end of the season said no nah, it wasn't her of course and like better not have been i mean that there was too many inconsistencies with that kind of a plot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, luckily, well, it's been renewed for season five, as I said. So, it's still decent, but it is getting a little bit stale. That's me up to 20 now. All right, at number 19, uh, I did briefly mention this earlier, So, but uh, Toast of London. Hits here. This was seasons two and three receiving their American debuts on IFC. Uh, Matt Berry's acclaimed British comedy hits all the right notes, uh, except with his singing, which is suspect, but, you know, that's fine. That's not the main draw. Uh, is very, very funny. Every episode has at least one great joke in it, which is really more than I can ask, or really all I can ask of, uh, of a more or less straightforward comedy um, at this point. Uh, and it hits that, and they're very, very good, very funny, and Matt Berry's great. Really enjoyed uh, seasons two and three of Toast of London. And number 18, uh, Breeders, which was on FX, which I know you watched the pilot of, but uh, you dropped. 
I think I know you didn't care for it at all. So I don't even remember. It. Okay, so this is Martin Freeman. Uh, is uh, Martin Freeman um, from The Hobbit? That may be where you know him from. Okay. Okay. So um, Martin Freeman and some woman whose name I don't remember uh, are parents of two young children in London, and he he swears to the children a bunch. That might be what you recall from the show. Okay. Nope. Okay. I don't even remember anything. All right. So the show, uh, obviously I don't know, but I assume, and from other people who have talked about the show, I believe this to be the case, uh, is pretty relatable to anyone who has children or who has spent a lot of time around children. Uh, Martin Freeman is hilarious as this impatient father uh, the final two episodes deliver a very tearful end to the solid first season of this very funny, good new comedy. I'm looking forward to seeing more of this. It was very funny. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I know you watched the first episode because I, I recorded it, and I know you watched it and said you hated it. So okay, <laughs> I it probably would. I think you even said that you didn't even make it through the whole pilot. Oh, that may be. So it probably would have been at the very bottom of your list, but. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, number 17, Brooklyn Nine-Nine continues to chug along being the most positive comedy on television. Uh, it continues to do what it does best in this shortened season. Andy Sadberg and company continue to deliver the laughs with no end in the near sight, which is good because the show's great. Quite enjoy it. Very, very funny. And again, Probably the most positive show you will see on all of television. Uh, quite enjoy it. Very good stuff. At number 16, I was debating back and forth whether or not this is technically eligible for the television list, but I decided it is. Uh, so, this is a stand-up comedy special. I decided those are going to be eligible for TV. Okay. Because so, I don't know where else to put it. And I don't watch enough of them to have a stand-up comedy special list of its own. So, it ended up on the TV list. Uh, Hannah Gadsby, Douglas. So, this is a Netflix comedy special. After her triumphant Nanette from a few years ago now, uh, where she announced that she hated doing comedy and was going to stop doing it basically immediately. That's what that whole special about. Great stuff. Um, she continues to do comedy anyways. So, you know... It is what it is. Whatever. While this is not quite as good as Nanette was, uh, the laughs are more plentiful in this special as she opts to spend less time explaining the emotional baggage and why comedy is inherently kind of a very horrible thing for someone to spend their life doing. That's what Nanette's about. Is It's a comedy special okay. about comedy, really. So it's very fascinating in that way. Uh, this one, she not opts to not do that and kind of be more, I guess, traditional, if you will, in terms of comedy. Um, while using less absolutely harrowing anecdotes for some of her stories. Uh, between the great art jokes, uh, the great art jokes and the awkward situation she describes, there is something here for everyone to enjoy. So... I will say this is not as good as Nanette. It's worse, but it's much more palatable. 
You know, it's much more accessible, if you will. You know, it's like Radiohead, where it's like Moonshaped Pool, not their best album. Very accessible, though. We're like Kid A, incredible, very hard to start with that one. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. Uh, and then lastly for this segment of my list, at number 15, who boy, uh, Love, Victor ended up here. So this uh, was moved to Hulu. Uh, it was going to be a Disney Plus thing, and then they decided, no, since this is a show about gay teens, we can't have it on a platform meant mostly for children so we're going to move this to hulu which is for adults more or less um which yeah that was probably a smart decision but uh because i think they would have had to uh removed certain bits or toned down certain bits at least um so nonetheless uh love victor so isaac aptiker and elizabeth berger uh who wrote the movie who wrote love simon this is a sequel slash spinoff of um, seemed to have taken most of the criticism leveled at that film and wrote this as a direct response to that, more or less, which uh, works very well, um, as Victor's experience is much more diverse and nuanced than Simon's was. Uh, and I kind of had this discussion with myself after finishing Love, Victor, of like, okay, this feels very much like what I just said, right? Of them saying, okay, this is what you guys did not like about Love, Simon. So here's, so we're going to do, we're going to make a show that is exactly what you want it to be, kind of. And it works a lot. Because, like, a lot of the issue with Love, Simon is that, like, what should be the most interesting part of like Simon's existence as a gay teenager has already happened before the show starts or before the movie starts. Like we're already through the most interesting part, quite frankly. We're at the less interesting part and that's the whole movie. This show is dealing mostly explicitly with Victor going like, Am I into dudes? Am I not? Maybe. I don't know. Let's see, mostly, is the whole thing. And it works really well. I, I should have probably looked up who shot this, because some of the cinematography is very interesting. Uh, the way they shoot certain scenes is very like, someone who knows what they're doing was shooting that, because that is a one of the most erotic coffee-making scenes I have ever seen uh, <laughs> was very, very interesting. Um, so all in all, that did make this a much more diverse and nuanced take than Love, Simon was. Uh, the show does have the most fatal flaw of all, of all of these style of shows, these high school teen shows that all of them have. Except for sex education, which I'm going to talk about later, uh, which is that everyone is like, would be like the, so like one of the characters in the show is supposed to be like the unattractive nerd character, but he would be like the hottest dude in mostly every high school. Like he is a beautiful man. And it's like, okay. okay. Sure, like, so it has that issue where, like, everyone in the show is beautiful. Like, all of them. Which is, you know, 
quite unrealistic unless like Atlanta where this is supposed to take place is secretly like a hotbed of the hottest people in the world are all in Atlanta for some reason, which could be the case. I don't know. I'm going to guess no, though. No. But nonetheless, other than that, you know, that's the issue I can level at all of these kind of shows pretty much. But it's not really an issue. It's just a little weird uh, at times. But this show, I will say, is much more compelling and interesting than the movie it serves as a spinoff of. Much better than Love, Simon. Uh, and I, because largely, it's the same writing team, and they took all of the criticisms leveled at Love, Simon too hard and said, okay, we're not going to ignore what we did there. We're going to address what we did there and more or less show we understand what we did there was not as good as it could have been. It wasn't necessarily bad, but it could have been a lot better, and we're going to make it a lot better, and here's how we're going to do that. So that was very smart of them to do that. Uh, and all in all, really good. I really enjoyed Love, Victor. Good stuff. Hmm. All righty. Number 19 for myself, Single Parents on ABC. It was the continuation of season two. Um... You know, I don't know where that show was going, and, and it was growing a bit stale, but ah, it's been officially canceled. Um, so, you know, they just went off on the deep end on that show and didn't know how to get back, I think. Uh, a lot of things going on in that show. Uh, number 18, America's Got Talent, The Champions. Yeah, it's season two. There was one new judge, but it's the same old things as America's Got Talent. So <clears throat> it was pretty decent. A lot of good good acts in that show. Number 17, you've mentioned, discussed it big time. Creep Show. Creep Show, Creep Show. There's, as you said, some good stories. Eh, some not so good. Uh uh, is it campy? Is it supposed to be campy? My answer is I think I'm going to say yes. It's supposed to be. Now, don't get mad. People don't get mad at me for saying it this way. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to say I think so because, you know, they like infuse it like it's a comic book. And they have comic book panels and then they go into the show, and you see the panel as the show. So I'm going to... I mean, that doesn't mean it's a campy aesthetic, but... I know, but to me that makes it kind of that way. Because it's coming from a, a comic book. Okay, I mean, that. I think that's a but... more bigger issue with your experience with comic books <laughs> than it is anything else. Yes, thank or your you. lack of experience with thank comic you. books. But Especially okay. lately. But that's the way I see it. By uh, lately, what do you mean? Like since 1970? Well, yeah, because I haven't seen it. Or, you know, I haven't read comic books in 40 years. Uh -huh. So, yes. Uh, number 16, Stump Town on ABC. Uh, this was the continuation and ending of season one. Um, that's a comic book. Was that campy? Stump Town? Yeah, well, that's from a it. comic book. They don't show... Like a comic book panel. Okay. And they don't show that the show ends and it goes back to a comic book panel and stuff. They don't show that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show, 
No, it's about, uh, there's a sharp-witted marine veteran who happens to be a female. Uh, she becomes a private investigator in Portland, Oregon. And she's taking care of her brother who has Down syndrome. Uh, they probably said something about what happened to their parents, but I don't remember uh, why they're there by themselves. Uh, her best friend, like, guy owns a bar and they both hang out at the bar a lot. Even her brother uh, with the Down syndrome hangs out at the bar a lot. Uh, they solve a few cases here and there, and she gets in a lot of trouble, and sometimes even the boy helps her out of that trouble. Uh, so it's a decent show, and it, it has been renewed for season two, so it will continue. Now, at number 15, one you mentioned a long time ago, um, Prodigal Son. Yes, it, you know, the continuation of season one was not the best. If it had continued on with the, like, say the first 10 episodes or so, it continued that good, it probably would have been up, up a bit higher on my list, but, uh, they, they, yeah, that ending was just kind of sad, but I can see that hopefully next season it's been renewed already so next season they'll get back and okay we've got a 20 episode order so they'll know to fill 20 episodes because i think i believe you said like yeah they probably had yeah it felt like mind. they have like a 10 or 12 episode story Wait, like guys, okay we can do stretch this. this out and then yeah you need to make it 20 now and they're uh -huh. like what what huh what no, mm -hmm. no. But I think if at the start, if they know it's going to be a 20 episode or 15, they can do a lot better So mm -hmm. for the whole season. So that's what I'll be looking forward to. All right. Uh, well, at number 14 for me, Rick and Morty, the last five episodes of season four. Uh, the animated sci-fi comedy continues to mine the depths of sci-fi history to explore tropes and cliches and all of its hilarious, bloody, and strangely emotional glory. Uh, so, obviously, I'm ready to see what the next six seasons, whenever they happen, uh, of Rick and Morty will bring along. So, we'll see what they are and when those ever happen, since it took like two years to get these ten. So, we'll see uh, how long it takes to get the next 60, but it'll happen at some point, presumably. Uh, at number 13, The Sinner from USA Network. So this is the third season of the murder mystery series. It is sort of an anthology, but not entirely. Um, so it deals with Bill Pullman, who's a detective, trying to solve a different murder crime every season. So it's kind of an anthology, but it's also kind of not because he's the same, so there's kind of the underlying plot of his life every year that you may be a little lost on if you, like, start with this one, but whatever. Um, so this season delivers an absolutely chilling performance from Matt Bomer as the quote-unquote killer uh, in this season, uh, and Bill Pullman is still very good as the embittered detective 
While the show is still trying to live up to its absolutely phenomenal debut season, it is still well worth watching even at this point. Very good stuff, very interesting stuff, and Matt Bomer does incredible work this season. He does some really good stuff here. Uh, at number 12, Sex Education ends up here. So this is, of course, the Netflix show. Uh, if you want to see a, at least in my mind, I could be wrong, but in my mind, a realistic portrayal of teenagers and what that looks like, look no further than this show, as long as you're comfortable with hearing a lot of sex discussion, because that's primarily what the show is concerned with. Uh, so as long as you're cool with that, uh, definitely check this out. Uh, the show is very beautifully soundtracked by the great Ezra Furman. Uh, and it has a very l interesting level of nuance and emotional complexity I never really expected to see in a show about teens' sex lives. Uh, the show is inevitably going to run into the big issue that always faces these issues, the, that does, you know, that uses this age group of characters, is what happens when the actors playing them look too old. Uh, primarily, given the fact that their main lead is Asa Butterfield, uh, they're going to have an issue of like, okay, what happens when Asa Butterfield all of a sudden looks like a really weird, creepy 30-year-old stalking around this high school? You know? <laughs> yes. How are you, what are you going to do at that point? Um, but until that happens, I am looking forward to spending more time in this UK prep school. Very good, very great stuff here. Highly recommend it. Um, season, I will say with Sex Education, season one is a little, in retrospect, as iffy. It was really good at the time. But season two is, like, is incredible stuff. Um, number 11. I mentioned this in passing earlier. Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. This just wrapped its season on, uh, Sunday as of recording this. So, uh, so this was a Showtime show. Other than John Logan creating and writing every episode and the whole show, uh, I am a bit unclear as to why this one has the Penny Dreadful branding, because it has really, as far as I can tell, no relation to the original Penny Dreadful. But nonetheless, uh, this is a, uh, much like um, Plot Against America that uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, this is a haunting mirror of our current times, as this is set in 1939 Los Angeles, uh, which finds the local Mexican population in conflict with the LAPD, while the Nazis and Adolf Hitler's impending, you know, everything, uh, looms largely in the background. Uh, the show is beautifully photographed, well-acted all around, very interesting, I can't wait to see a second season, and much like uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go on record and predict an Emmy nom from this one for Natalie Dormer for her four-role performance throughout the show. She does four characters, maybe five, I may have forgot one, but she does really interesting work here. Uh, I will say, though, she, she attempts to play a Spanish character, and her accent work is, who, buddy? 
Okay. After, I think, she, like, tries to do a Spanish accent for, like, two lines in the first time she's playing that character, and then she just never does it again. Because I think when they were shooting it, she was like, I can't do this. No. So I'm just going to talk normally, and it'll just be really weird. And you'll, everyone will have to deal with the fact that I'm playing a Spanish character who has a British accent. Too bad. So it's very strange. But other than that, she does great work. The, the This whole season, very, very good. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Nathan Lane does great work here. Um, I forget his name, but the weird brother from Everybody Loves Raymond, he does great work here. Uh, his turn into a dramatic character actor is fascinating. Brad Garrett? Yes, that's him. Yes. He's in this. He does great work. Very interesting, his whole career arc. Very interesting. Um, all in all, yeah. Very good, very interesting. Uh, it, it's build is like, it starts off as like a murder mystery, but then after about episode three, you're like, oh, okay, it's not actually about that. That's just, okay, It, it that's not really what's going on here. Cool. Um, so, very good, very interesting. I quite enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to more of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Uh, number 10, Dispatches from Elsewhere an AMC show. The first nine episodes are a very interesting mystery about an alternate reality where, like, some corporation has this massively interesting tech, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. And the final episode is a bizarre yet deeply effective meta-narrative about Jason Siegel's journey to making this show, um, which is very interesting <laughs> It makes no sense as the finale of the show, but out of that context, a very interesting uh, episode of television, that one. Probably the best of the whole series, uh, when you don't consider it as part of the series. Uh, but all in all, I did quite enjoy Dispatches from Elsewhere. It did get a little tedious towards the end when they started going into some of the well, they just kind of figured out how to keep this going. It did get yes. a little uh -huh. a little tedious. Andre 3000 does great work. Jason Siegel's very good. Uh, all in all, this... I, I do recommend it if you're up for, like... If David Lynch was restrained, that's kind of what this is. Uh, so, and it, it works... Uh, it obviously could have been a lot weirder, and I probably would have liked it to have been a lot weirder, but it, it works very well. I did quite enjoy it. Obviously, that's why it's number 10. Yes. Well, at number 14 for me, Quiz. Season 1. Yeah, it's only three episodes, I mm -hmm. believe. Uh, it's how a contestant cheated on who wants to be a millionaire... The Britain, ver Britain version, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty good, uh, you know. Um, it shows you a lot. Um, a lot of the evidence, of course, is circumstantial. So did they really cheat? Did they not cheat? Uh, it's up to you to decide a little bit. Of course, they tell you how they decided in England there. Uh, that's a pretty good show uh, to see how they did all that stuff. At number 13, yes, believe it or not, holy moly, the mini golf game to the extreme. 
uh, by Steph Curry. Yeah, there's different holes in season two. There's more water hazards and other dangers. Yes, Rob Riggle is still cracking the jokes in the announcer's booth. But this year, as you'll basketball fans know, Steph Curry broke his wrist. So there was a lot less Steph Curry this year on this show. Uh, last year in season one, he actually did a golf shot every episode for one of the contestants. This year, no Steph Curry shooting golf balls. And at the end, when they give the gold jacket and the gold uh, putter, it's not Steph Curry in person there. They actually like animate it. It's an animation uh, part there. So uh, I guess Steph Curry was getting tired of doing that part. Uh, number 12, you mentioned earlier, and I'm going to disagree with you. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on NBC. I believe having numbers, the musical numbers of of songs that you that you know are is a lot better for the show than original numbers that you don't know about. Um, Why? Well, for me, I think, you know, I like singing along with the song sometimes. Okay. You know, here's I've got a whole list of every song in season one. I'm not going to go through them all. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but Angel of the Morning, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, believe it or not. Yes, All By Myself. They have Help by the Beatles, uh, True Colors by Cindy Lauper. Uh, all these that you can sing along with, see, Moon Dance. Uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Uh, you know, all these Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus and Kokomo by the Beach Boys. It's just, see if it was a song you never ever heard of because it's an original. How, how are you going to sing along to it? That's not the point. Well, it is for me because... <laughs> the point of musicals are not to... To sing for you. No, with. it's not. No, it's not. It is that is me. not the point of musical theater. Um, it is for me. Uh, and to hear these... That is not the point. Of, the point of musical theater is to go experience a very interesting story that is told through song. Yeah, if but... after your first viewing you happen to buy the soundtrack and start singing along to the songs, that's fine. That's one thing. Yes, but I don't like it that way on, on this show. So... I like the songs I know. Now, I don't know all of them because they did Buttons by the Pussycat Doll. Yeah, I was so, going to say, how's your Pussycat Doll knowledge? You know, I don't know that one. Okay. You know, uh, but most of these others, I'm pretty good with most of these. Uh, you know, some issues by Julia Michaels. Okay, I don't know that one. To me, there's head. just an inherent level of when it's you writing your own... Now, this is also back to like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where it's Rachel Bloom writing for herself. But there is an inherent level of like, okay, when I'm repurposing a song, I, I mean, to me, this is also like... Because you seemingly, on like a just uh, premise level, dislike covers. Well, generally, generally, 
just off the top of my head, but... Right. To me, that's all this is. It's just a bunch of covers. These are a bunch when of covers. When you're repurposing a song that someone else has written, there's immediately a level of emotional disconnect that happens that you don't get with an original. Now, obviously, there could be some... There could be a difference here because, like, Jane Levy is probably not going to write her own songs for this, you know. Uh, but nonetheless, I can't imagine it. There's still a level of emotionality that I feel is inherently lost. Because to me, what then happens when you're saying you're singing along to the songs as they're happening, right? Is well, that's the problem, because then you're not paying attention to what is this song telling me that's happening. You're just going, oh, it's a song I know and I like. Yeah. Instead of going, oh, this is an emotional piano ballad about how this character hates themselves and thinks they're a terrible person. You're going, oh, it's help. Cool. You know? So to me, no. that's part of the issue. It's the same issue I have with Glee, although there's a lot of other issues I have with Glee, but is that when it's purely a repurposing of songs people know, that what is inevitably going to happen is that some members, not all, but some members of the audience are going to inherently just forget that they're watching a story necessarily. Well, that could be And are not a going problem. to go to the song and say, okay, how are they using the song and what is this supposed to be telling me about this character? Right? Because that's how I always looked at it. It was like, okay, sure, this woman's singing Satisfaction here. But, okay, so sure, she's singing Satisfaction, but what is this supposed to be telling me? And obviously, the one scene I remember from the show is, oh, she's talking about how sex with her husband is unfulfilling because she never orgasms or never even gets to have sex with him, whatever, Right? Well, but, well, maybe you're over there just going, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, that brings me see, to the next part is I don't think the premise of the show is very good. And it says uh -huh. there's over 70 songs in the first season there. There's over 70 tracks. Uh-huh. I guarantee if those were all original songs, which mm -hmm. would be very hard to do, <laughs> 70 songs. I would not be watching the show still because her ordinary life, yeah, her father dying and all this stuff, I wouldn't be watching because of that stuff if all these were original songs that I had no idea what they were singing. You change Angel of the Morning, which I know, to Joey of the Morning. <laughs> okay, what? Huh? I don't... What? I wouldn't be watching still. I'm almost positive of that. And I am guarantee it would not be number 12 on my list. The, that's the one thing I like about this show is the music, which... Yeah, they're all covers, per se, but... Um, you know, they're, they surprise me because, you know, yeah, I can go on to Spotify and pick out 18,000 covers mm -hmm. and listen to them, but... Well, I mean, just for context, I mean, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, season one, which is 18 episodes. I don't remember how long this one was. Um, it was 
12. 12, okay. Well, so 18 episodes of season one of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There were, I forgot, it's either 57 or 62 songs that are all completely original songs made just for the show, for nothing else. Now, is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a streaming show, or is it one, one episode a week? One a week. One a week, okay. Uh-huh. Well, that's pretty good. But I haven't seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Right. But, no, I'm pretty sure I would not be watching the show, and it would not be rated 12th on my list. So this is more about... Original. This is more about that you just patently don't like musicals, is what that's more about. Oh, I don't know. I well, just I mean, like that's your that's your whole argument songs. essentially is that if this was original, these were original songs, meaning these were this was a straight musical. That this I, is a traditional musical. I would not like it as much. I'm almost right. sure. Right. So that's what that's more about is that you just patently don't like musicals that much. So, so you should really watch Glee then. You'd really love it then. I watched the first couple episodes and the because that's all it is is just. I mean, there's very little plot to Glee. It's just a bunch of people singing songs that you'll know. Okay. That's the whole thing with Glee. There's no story. There's no emotional attachment stuff to it. It's just people singing a bunch of songs you've heard before. I may have to check it out again. Uh, number 11 for me, New Amsterdam from NBC. No music in this show. Uh, but the hospital That's story continues. That's not true. Well, there might There's be music in every show. Yeah. The cast okay. doesn't sing is yeah, what you mean. Yeah, the cast doesn't sing. It doesn't have American Pie. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. It doesn't have that. Or uh, Should I stay or should I go? Uh, anyway about a hospital of course the director comes up with oddball ideals that runs the hospital into the ground financially but always pulls it out with some other crazy ideals that probably would not happen in real life uh, a lot of good stuff it has been amazingly renewed for three more seasons one of those things I don't hear that too often um, that was season two that, that continued this year and uh, number 10, Emergence on ABC. This is the end of season one. It's, where did that child come from? Yes, where did that child come from? He just appeared after this plane wreck. Um, you know, what, what, a, oh boy, they went down a crazy stretch of highway there on this show. Uh, and the show was so crazy, they canceled it now, so... We, we do know where the kid came from, and he's a clone, kind of, or made. Uh, so that ends my, now we'll be doing the top, I guess, top nine. Actually. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> at, at number nine, quiz, which you mentioned already. Uh, a three-part miniseries about Charles Ingram, the British Army major who won the million-pound jackpot on the original Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and was subsequently accused of cheating his way to that victory. Uh, this is a very well-acted series, of course. 
uh, it is structured very interestingly because it is kind of structured in a court case style of way or well the British court structure not what you're used to from like you know all the American cop or lawyer shows you're yes. used to uh, we're like okay we hear essentially kind of like background detail first of everything and then oh here's essentially the uh, the accusers version of the story and what happened and here's the defense's version of the events and what happened essentially so that was very interesting uh, in a structure standpoint. Worked very well, I think. Uh, ultimately, it does leave you to decide for yourself, much like the real court case leaves us as the viewer pretty much to decide, did they actually do this or not, right? Uh, regardless of what the court actually ended up deciding, but it is still very much like, okay, what do, you know, how do we think about it, right? Um, and this show was, you know, I did not have high hopes for this going in, right? I didn't expect this to be that great. I figured, okay, this will be fine, whatever, cool. You know, it's going to be three hours in total that I'm going to have to spend on this. That's not that big of a commitment. Cool, I have literally nothing else to do right now, so why not? So, sure, and it turned out to be really, really great. Very highly recommended quiz. As I said, it's three hours. It's not that hard. It'll be, it's, uh, well, it's AMC, so that's actually not on Hulu right now. That'll, actually, AMC has their own app, so it should be on there for free if you want to go check it out. Um, at number eight, What We Do in the Shadows, season two. Boy, this is, uh, it's still the funniest show on television. It is so great. Um, it also delivered the funniest episode of television this year to date, episode six, On the Run, which features Mark Hamill in one of his greatest performances I have ever seen. It is incredible. Oh, Mark Hamill is so great in this episode. It's wonderful. Um, the show loves to, like, as I say, it's one of the funniest shows. It's also one of the stupidest shows on television. And it just revels in that stupidity every single second. All of its jokes are some of, are like the dumbest possible way you could have made a joke out of this situation, but they all work. I mean, again, that Mark Hamill episode is so completely stupid, but it works so well. It is so great. Um, all of the cast is just sold completely on this concept of playing immortal vampires who are the subjects of a documentary. They are so sold on the concept and play it so well. Matt Berry is so great in this show. Um, it is, it's a great companion piece to the movie. Uh, you don't have to see the movie to watch the show and vice versa. Obviously it'll help, but you don't have to. You know, they explain it self pretty well in the show that you don't have to bother with the movie if you don't want to you know if you want to laugh in ways that you probably have not before you should really check this one out so coming in at number seven we have steven universe future uh this is the final 10 episodes of this season of it and i would imagine maybe the whole show i don't know we'll see um, it's a fascinating end to the story for Steven Universe. 
Uh, a very enjoyable and emotionally moving show in equal parts that I really could not have envisioned a better ending for the show than the one that it was given here with this. Very good, very interesting stuff. And, um, you know, if you want a, not necessarily adult, because this isn't like South Park or anything, but a, you know, if you want to see how ostensibly cartoons meant for children can be very mature in its storytelling without these, that's not the South Park style of quote-unquote mature. Um, Steven Universe and Steven Universe Future. Check them out. Really good, interesting stuff. That is for sure. Uh, and number six, I didn't really have much to say about this. Um, the Good Place, the final four episodes. Fitting and very wonderfully moving ending to the show. That's all I had to say there. Uh, so, I guess uh, we'll save the five each. How about that? Oh, okay. All right, at number nine Since for me. Since we did the weird structure. Yes. Sorry. At number nine, The Masked Singer, season three. Oh, boy. Believe it or not, the same panelists, the same comments, the same B or C level celebrities. But it's still very enjoyable to watch as they come out singing. What kind of celebrities, you may ask? Well, we start out with Little Wayne was eliminated first. So, you know. All right, then we had some non-singers, kind of. Drew Carey. Tony. I, I would class Drew Carey as more of a singer than Little Wayne. Oh, okay. Singer, yes. Musician, no. Tony Hawk. I don't know. Oh, the skateboarder? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We had Tom Bar Bergeron. Oh, boy. Uh, Sarah Palin. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that one because that, that was a fun day of internet discourse. You know, Bella Thorne. Oh, okay. I don't know if she's a singer or not. Uh, well, she's an actress. Okay. I know that much. Uh, Jojo Siwa. Uh, Rob Gronkowski. Tight end. Now the Joe, Tampa Bay. Joe Siwa. That might be a singer. I'm not sure. I'll Google that. Will okay. you? Okay. We had Jordan Woods. We had Brett Michaels from Poison. I think he's Poison. Brett Michaels. I don't know. One of those hair bands, I believe. Hunter Hayes, the country singer. We had Shaka Khan. Uh, Dionne Warwick. So they do have actual musicians. They must get eliminated last because they can actually uh, kind of sing. Well, we had, this was, well, the next one was Jackie Ivanko, who was had won, I believe, or came in second on America's Got Talent way back in season I was going to say, wasn't she like the three. opera kid or something? Yeah. But then. So she didn't sing opera songs or it would have. No. Okay. No, they don't sing opera songs. Well, I don't know. I only watched like the first three and decided, no, I'm done with this garbage. And but... then, believe it or not, this guy made it to the final four. Barry Zito. I have no idea who that is. He is a National League pitcher in the major leagues. Uh, I think oh, he's baseball? On the Reds. Oh, okay. You could just said baseball. That's and yeah, baseball. Everything picture. else did not help. And it was like Barry Zito. What? Okay. He made it this far. Also, Joe Joe Siwa apparently is a YouTube personality. Ah. Uh, known for appearing on two seasons of Dance Moms. Oh gosh. Okay. 
And the final three people were Bow Wow, Jesse McCartney. Jesse McCartney. Um, Okay. And the final, the winner of the season three was Candy Burris. So. Who? uh, Candy with a K. Oh, boy. Okay. Spelled normally otherwise? K-A-N-D-I. Oh, okay. Candy Burris. Uh, oh, okay. She's a member of the uh, vocal group Escape. So she currently stars in the Bravo reality show The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Ah, uh, all righty. So she won. So hey, it's a decent show. They come up; those costumes are part of it. Uh, See, okay. So she was. So she was a member of Escape, and then wrote for. Uh, did some writing for TLC and Destiny's Child. So, yeah, she is a, uh, so yeah, she's a music person. Yeah. All right. At number eight, All Rise on CBS, a court drama. There's more hardships, court cases on this one. There's, this is the end of season one that I've been talking about. It has been officially renewed for season two. Yes, we get to see how judges, lawyers, clerks, bailiffs, and even cops work at an L.A. County courthouse. I like all the cast members on this show. They're all good. Uh, at least they seem to do a good job to me. Uh, and This show was kind of funny this year. The season ended, I thought. It was over. And then a month or so later, after the pandemic started, ooh, they had an extra episode where L.A. was under a mandatory shelter-in-place order, and we saw these actors and actresses supposedly in their homes. I, I don't know if they were really at their homes, you know, doing the video chats and actually had a trial. I, I'd say virtual trial, but a, a trial over their computers instead of being in the courtroom. So that was kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, all, a bunch of shows did that. Uh, well, that's I mean, Parks I've and Rec came back and did it. I know 30 Rock, like, next week is supposed to come back and do that. Uh, so, I mean, NBC is just bringing out the legacy comedies. Uh, so I guess we're going to see The Office one here soon. There you go. See? Something. Uh-huh. All right, number seven on my list, The Rookie. Yes, this is season two, a short season, only, oh, 13, uh, 20 episodes, actually. It's been renewed. That's not short. Well, it is for... 20, well, it's absurdly 20. long. They, I think they all aired in 2020, too, so oh, it's my. pretty quick. ABC, uh, that was season two. Nathan Fillion as a rookie cop still. Um, Can you really be a rookie in year two? Well, it's season two, but oh, it's it's Simpsons. He's basically still he's Marge Simpson, a rookie oh, okay. under training. Mm. Um, Not Marge. He, well, he, I guess all the Simpsons are the same the age Simpsons. all the time. But I guess I meant Maggie is the one I meant. But uh, that's the baby, right? Yes, thirty okay. years. Is uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, Joe Nolan, that or I think it's Joe. No- I forget his first name. Nolan keeps learning as do all the other rookies on the show. 
Uh, we get a little bit of a twist at the end of the season, you know, to keep it exciting. Uh, this uh, is actually an extended heist inside Firefly? Uh, no. Ah, oh, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> and it, this is one of the better cop shows for me. It's actually the only cop show I, besides like FBI and stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, that I watch. And as you've already mentioned at number six for me, The Good Place. Season four ends, it was, I got a very short note also. It's a very satisfying conclusion to the series. That was it for my number six, Good Place. All right, my top five. We got some heavy hitters, of course. And number I five. hope so. Tales from the Loop. Uh, so this was an Amazon show. This is a very beautiful, thoughtful, and meditative sci-fi show. Uh, I was moved to tears by like half the half these episodes. There's like there's ten of them. I know I cried at least at four of them. It was probably more, but I remember four vividly. Uh, the pacing is a little slow at times, but is ultimately fine because it's a very pretty show to look at. Uh, so I wasn't super, you know, frustrated with, with its pace. Um, it is an anthology series. It's an episodic anthology, but in a way I haven't really seen done before. Because the whole show takes place in this one town in Ohio, right? And each episode is ostensibly about a different one or usually two or three residents of the town and the characters from each episode usually are like background players in the other episodes so it gives very much this like feel of that you are really observing this one town you know it's not like twilight zone where none of the characters other than rod serling or jordan peele in the modern one ever are in the, each episode by and large i think occasionally that may happen i don't i'm not as well versed in Twilight Zone as I maybe should be, but nonetheless, uh, I've never really seen an anthology structured in this specific way before. Uh, that may just be because maybe I just, maybe there are and I just haven't seen it, you know, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. um, it gives the show and the world a lot more of a lived in feeling than you would expect from an episodic anthology. Uh, Rebecca Hall does great work throughout the whole thing. Jonathan Price, who most of you may know as the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones, is in a few episodes of this and Four. is fine. I mean, he doesn't, he's not given a whole lot to do, but <laughs> he's good at what he does. Uh, and ultimately, for me, this was the most surprising uh, program of the year. Especially when, like, because, like, I read, like, the, not necessarily the pitch document, that's not the right word, but, like, the premise, right, on, like, the, the premiere calendar thing. Yeah. It was like, you know, this show is adapted from, a like, a series of art prints or something from this artist. And I was like, what on earth? <laughs> You're going to make a show out of, like, posters? <sighs> but it works really well. It is very interesting. The sci-fi stuff is beautifully done very some very interesting concepts some like kind of your kind of standard concepts sometimes but some of them are really weird you know you have your standard like you know oh this stops time for everyone but me or you know these specific people episode but you also have this very weird episode about like 
um, being transported to a parallel reality where two versions of you exist simultaneously, uh, which actually isn't that uncommon now that I think about it, but where, you know, in this alternate reality, you have everything you would want in your life, but in your normal reality, you don't. So are you going to, like, stay here and try and make this work or kill the other version of you and take over their life or, you know, whatnot? It's, it's, so, you know, very interesting stuff at play here. I did really, really enjoy it. I would really love to see another season of it. Uh, really, really great, great show highly recommend it if you're okay with a very like glacially paced show because it is very slow if you're cool with that it's well worth your time but it is very slow just be aware of that going in and number four for the first time in its existence does not take the number one spot on my list Killing Eve comes in fourth this year for me. Um, you know, as is the case every year with Killing Eve, another season, we got a new showrunner and another main head writer. Every season has this, has had this happen. Why? I I mean, I get it. Like, after season one, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was ready to do other stuff. So I get that. I don't get it from two to this one, but whatever. Um, this is... Coincidentally, by it finishing fourth, it's not necessarily because everything ahead of it is just that much more incredible. Although that is also the case. But this was by far the worst season of the show so far, which, you know, granted, when it's like two like incredible seasons and then one like pretty good season, like this is still obviously, it's number four, it's still really good. Hmm. It's just a big step down okay. to me. It began to lose some steam... Uh, the ending does leave us with an interesting starting point for fourth season if it happens. Because it, it is also structured in a way that we could just leave it here and this is the end. And that, that would work. It would make sense. It would fit. They technically could have done that with season two if they wanted to as well. Um, and season one, actually now I think about it, they do kind of structure this very smartly in that if any season does unexpectedly end up being the last one, the end will work. And it's not like a giant cliffhanger that we're left on, you know? Uh, so that's at least very smart from a writing standpoint, yes. actually. Uh -huh. um, the core conflict in the show between Eve and Villanelle uh, began to grow a bit stale after, you know, three straight years of more or less the same dynamic going on. Um, uh, but most of the season was, I think, smartly actually bent on developing Carolyn's character to be more than just the snarky middle-aged British woman that she was the first two seasons. She has a bit more of a depth this season, which is a welcome change, I think. I am looking forward to seeing what the show's next showrunner does, because I assume there's going to be a new one, because it always happens, so... Uh, so I am interested to see what they're going to do with season four, but again, I am comfortable with this being the end. It, it would fit. It works. Uh, you know, inevitably, I didn't have to write this out because I think it's very self-evident. Jodie Comer is going to get another Emmy nom for this. I wouldn't be shocked if Sandra Oh does too, but she might not. Who knows? Um, but all in all, 
great, great stuff. I cannot recommend Killing Eve enough, but Season 3 was a step back. But it's still very, very good. Um, and number three, a show I only got into this year, because uh, I took advantage of my not having anything else to do time to catch up on it. Um, Westworld finished number three. Now, admittedly, since the first two seasons were not eligible in the year they came out because I didn't watch them then, uh, this would be another step back in my rankings because this was also the worst season of Westworld so far. Um, mostly it's because the first two seasons never really had a bad episode. Like, they weren't all great. But they were all good to great. This one... The pilot, not necessarily the pilot, but the first episode, the premiere of season three is really bad. It's very uninteresting. I did not care at all for this first episode. But once you get past that first episode, the rest of it is great stuff. Really good stuff. Very interesting twists that I did not see coming because I don't really think you could have. Uh, at some points, very Awesome action sequences, of course. Uh, the interesting thematic ideas of, like, you know, humanity and what does it mean to be a human. Can a entity created by a human ever become truly human in its own right or not? Or is it always destined to be less than in some key capacity? Or could a robot become better than human, potentially due to its kind of level of invulnerability it has that humans inherently don't, you know. Uh, that kind of stuff was admittedly toned down a bit, which is a little bit of an issue. Um, but ultimately, I think this was still a very good season of Westworld. Uh, very, very good stuff. Uh, the table is set for a fantastic fourth season Though, of course, we have to deal with the fact that one of our main characters is a 75-year-old Ed Harris or so, and how long can he keep doing this uh, is obviously a question that needs to be asked every year, unfortunately. You know, well, when you have Ed Harris, who's in his 70s, and he is one of your main characters... Unfortunately, it's a question that has to be asked. I would think so, yes. Um, you know, admittedly, they do. it does look like, with the end of Season 3, that there is a way they can easily, if they have to, write Ed Harris out pretty easily and quickly, if they have to. Uh, so it's at least not going to be like, uh, Carrie Fisher in Star Wars 9 where like, oh, she was supposed to be in this a whole bunch and well, we'll have to use what we shot which means she's going to be mostly laying on a table for the whole movie. So, <laughs> you know, they're at least most likely not going to be stuck with that as long as they get something shot, but obviously who knows when they'll be able to do that at this point. Uh, but... Nonetheless, unfortunately, that is a consideration that has to be taken into account. Um, but assuming everything goes to plan, the table is set for what should be a fantastic fourth season of Westworld sometime in the future. 
maybe a couple years at this rate, but right, he was born in 1950, so he's only 70. Okay, well, still, so yeah, that's you know, it's not like if you cast Harrison Ford, who's like 80 or yeah, quite old as well <laughs> in this, but still. Um, at number two, Bojack Horseman, the final eight episodes of the series. Number two, the show ends in a way that feels very truthful to everything that has come before. Uh, you know, Bojack consistently proved itself to be uh, a show that I was constantly, not flummoxed isn't the right word, but um, confounded by because it's so much more nuanced and thoughtful than a show about an anthropomorphic horse has any right to be, uh, you know, it, but it is also a show that could not be done in live action. Like you just could not make the show if it weren't animated. Uh, you know, you just couldn't, um, obviously the horse stuff and all the other animal creatures is a big part of that, but you know, you could make them all human. It'd be fine. But, just from a thematic level, they're like this show is a very nuanced and thoughtful take on, I mean, many things, um, whether that be humanity, fame, celebrity, alcoholism, sexuality, motherhood, domestic abuse, cultural heritage, depression, suicide, childhood trauma, forgiveness. Just very interesting, and Bojack as a whole loved to and consistently pushed the boundaries of what a episode of television could be, whether that be the completely silent episode, you know, that has, well, it's not completely silent. I think there's one line of dialogue, but right. It's a 25 minute episode of television with one line of dialogue or the episode that is literally Bojack giving a 25 minute long monologue. That is the whole episode. It's just Bojack talking for 25 minutes. That's the whole episode. You know, or whether that be an episode that tries to, like, visually approximate uh, the experience of having dementia, you know, or whether that be the... a lot of its entire concepts from the absurd game shows to the... Yeah, there's absurd game shows in this. Uh, or... The idea of a dog being the mayor of Los Angeles or whatever else that comes along in the show. It's a show that has no right really to work as well as it does when you explore the core premise of, or explain the core premise of the show. Is that, yeah, so it's this animated comedy about a alcoholic horse because it's also it's anthropomorphic right so the main character is a horse but he's mostly human just with a horse head uh, and also like every other creature also exists in this way uh, so it's about this alcoholic horse who was a big sitcom star in the 90s on like kind of like a full house type of show okay. uh, and that's pretty much what it's about it's just about him but it's 20 years later after the show and he's trying to deal with like being a has been celebrity. Like that's the general premise of the show. Like that doesn't sound that remarkable, right? 
Like, it has no, no real reason to work as well as it does with that being what it's about. But it works so beautifully and is so, so incredible. I really can't recommend BoJack enough. If you have not checked it out, of course, just fire up your Netflix, start it today. So great, so, so good. Um, but coming in at number one of the year for me, I mean, as soon as I finished it, I knew there was very little chance it was not going to end up here. The Devs finishes number one, the FX Hulu joint production show, um, which obviously was meant for FX. And then, because the way it, because like they structure it where there's very obvious, like what's supposed to be a commercial break. And yeah. then it's like, oh, they decided no one would watch this, so they threw it to Hulu. Like, here, have it, because no one's going to watch this. So it's a little disjointed in that capacity, but it's not that much of an issue, obviously. Um, so this is an absolutely harrowing tech thriller that plays around with, you know, big concepts of philosophy, determinism, Human nature. What does it mean to be human? Does time exist? Does alternate reality exist? If it does, what does that mean? If we find something in an alternate reality, is that the same as it being in our reality or not? And many other uh, questions asked in the show. Uh, and it would have been, you know, a complete disaster probably, for anyone other than Alex Garland to, to handle this. Um, his direction and his writing, as always, terrific. Great, great stuff from Alex Garland. Um, I was a little concerned when this was announced of like, okay, how is he going to handle going from movies to television, right? Obviously, we know he can handle movies very well with Ex Machina, Annihilation, and then the other stuff he wrote, you know, 28 Days Later, Dread, all the other stuff. So we know he can handle writing movies very well and is ridiculously good at it. And we know he can handle directing movies and is very, very good at it. But TV is inherently a very different medium from a storytelling standpoint, from a structural standpoint, obviously from a runtime and budget standpoint. It's very different as well. Because essentially, as some people have described it, making TV, especially dramatic television, you're essentially shooting and making, you know, 10 to 12 to, I guess, 20 in some cases, short movies. You know, that's essentially what you're doing. Every 40-minute episode is essentially one movie, kind of. They're just a whole bunch of movies stitched together and shortened. But you're working on a very much smaller budget most of the time, not always, but... Most of the time, uh, you know. So, would Alex Garland be able to handle handle that? And, yeah, he does. He has no problems. Uh, it is a very haunting show. Uh, beautiful visuals. Uh, you know, I would say that I, I, I'm not as well-versed in the Emmys as I am in the Oscars, so I don't know if there's like a art direction or something type of Emmy category. I'd assume there's something like that. There just has to be. Um, 
some sort of like effects or something Emmy somewhere. Yeah, I would think so. Yes. Uh, this should be nominated for that or a cinematography Emmy, um, a direction one if there is one. I assume there probably is. Um, like this miniseries is so good, so interesting, uh, and it's just riveting stuff through and through. Uh, I, I do think it maybe could have benefited from a slight trimming. I think it's eight episodes if it was seven. I think it's eight. I, th I think you could have done maybe with one less episode and it would have been even better because there was some stuff that I think you could have cut if you really had to. Uh, but I'm ultimately fine with obviously I was presented, obviously. Uh, and all in all, yeah, Devs was really, really good. Uh, it is definitely not like a for everyone type of show. It's, it is, I mean, it's Alex Garland, so inherently it's a little weird. Um, it's not like super, super weird. Like this isn't Twin Peaks, but <laughs> it it is a little weird at times. A little, but a little. It's really good i cannot recommend it enough and that is why it holds to this point we'll have to see when the end of the year comes but i'm gonna guess it probably won't be dethroned but who knows uh i mean that's still six months away and granted there probably won't be a ton that comes out between now and then <laughs> since kind of when everything would have been being shot they couldn't shoot anything yeah, it's going to uh, be kind of sparse, but I think. we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, incredible stuff. Devs, number one now. Probably number one in the future. We'll see. Hmm. All righty. Well, beginning with my number fit, five. Fifth. Five, five, fifth. You mentioned it very recently. Dispatches from elsewhere. Yes. Um, yes, I don't have much to add from what you said. It's a good story. The 10th episode did not need to be aired, but we'll let that slide. Uh, Jason Siegel, Andre Benjamin, Eve Lindley, and Sally Field, they were all very good, I thought. Uh, doing their parts and making this story work. Uh, number four. Boy, you just did a big story on it, so I won't have to say much about it. Devs. Um, yeah, I I had to say that, you know, when I started it up, it was like, eh, okay, no big deal. Uh, I'll watch the first episode and probably won't like it and quit. But... That did not happen. I watched the whole thing. It got more interesting. And uh, it, it gives you some things to think about, I think. Uh, so, but it only finished number four for me. And number three, a sitcom, Bob Hart's Abishola. Huh? Yes, this is the continuation of season one. It's kind of an uneven comedy, but it is getting better with each episode. It has been renewed for season two, so I'll be there. 
uh, the main players. Uh, you got Bob, of course. That's played by Billy Gardell, who was Mike from Mike and Molly. Uh, he's not quite as good as Abishola, who is, I'm going to mispronounce her name, trust me on this, Folaki Olowofoyoki Yiku, something like that. I uh, doubt that was remotely close. I doubt it was remotely close. Folaki Olowofoyiku. I have no idea. Um, and she does... She's been in a lot of stuff, but nothing major. She does a lot of, she's done voice work on video games. Uh, boy, she's excellent. Um, I like the interplay these two have in the show. Uh, it's funny. Bob's mother, she's a real work, uh, you know, she, she, she does good too, but she needs a lot of help uh, in this show. Um, it's just funny. Uh, I like it. Bob has a company, uh, he sells socks. Yes. Uh, and it's made their family a fortune, apparently. So, and Abishola, I want to say she comes from somewhere in Africa, but I'm not really sure what country. Uh, pretty funny show. And number two, A Million Little Things. Yes, it's, it's a drama. Kind of like This Is Us. Uh, it's kind of turning into a soap opera now, a little bit. Uh, the stories are very interesting. Uh, it's been renewed for season three, thankfully, which didn't think there'd be any doubt for that. There's lots of twists and turns. The whole story way back in season one started with, there were four friends and one of them committed suicide. And the show's gone from there to all kinds of inside secrets and twists and turns and all kinds of stuff. So lots of plot lines all running at the same time and crossing each other a lot. Uh, number one, with no surprise, probably been here for three years or four, well, three seasons anyway, Young Sheldon. Yes, from CBS. Uh, yes, this is Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory when he was a boy living in Texas. It still remains quite funny. It's been officially renewed for, I think, season four and five. And I like the fact that they take things that was said on the Big Bang Theory. Sheldon has said, when I was little, I did this. And they find ways to incorporate that kind of stuff into this show. Makes it very interesting to me. And I will be continuing to watch the show until the day they cancel it. Hmm. And that's it for me. Well, I guess that'll do it for our best television of 2020 so far here at the halfway point. Uh, so make sure to join us next time for uh, where we'll be resuming our Chris Nolan series with Batman Begins next time.